0: That's n o o m dot com to sign up today.
1: What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to On the Corner. I'm your host Nicholas Pollock here with a very special guest, Mr. Jonathan Metzlar, one of the most famous and talented and accomplished writers on the Pitcherless website. How are you doing today, John? What is happening?
2: <laughs> I, I am actually going by Johnny Baseball today.
1: As you do, as you do. That's yeah. your brand.
2: This is really hard to do. I can't do John Metzlar at all. I mean, as you could hear, I can't do <laughs> Nick Pollock either. So. Um, but hey, we're doing another On the Corner Mock Draft in, podcast. Live and in person. Live and in person. You're in Because Metzeler lives in Brooklyn, and it's really cool. And he came over, and I'm using this setup that I made for Alex Fast and me before he abandoned me and moved to L.A. Like I literally made this... That's Lovely right. setup. You hear how good John sounds. Yeah. I mean, I you know, love
1: listening to my own voice. I mean, right. This is really just we all love drawn that out.
2: Listening to your voice, though, John. <laughs> uh, and we're recording with this. It's really exciting. Um, we're going to talk about John's mock draft. And uh, just for everybody listening, if you don't know, we're doing this series. We go through the staff mock draft we completed in the middle of October. You can check out the full draft board below in the in the podcast notes. It's head-to-head, five by five, twenty-three rounds. Three outfielders, no corner infield, no middle infield, two utilities, Shohei Otani's two different players. You have nine pitching spots, you have about four bench. It's categories, head-to-head, standard stuff. It's essentially you have a baseline for everybody to then change on your league settings from there. And we're going to talk about John's draft. And before we do that, John, tell everyone everything about yourself and where to find you.
1: Well, uh, first of all, my name is Jonathan Metzler, aka Johnny Baseball as Nick mentioned. Um I started in the fantasy baseball industry as a bit of a YouTube maker, connoisseur influencer, you might even say. An influencer, um, yes, absolutely. And you know, Nick took me under his wing and kind of showed me the ropes and I've been with PitcherList for a couple of years since then, uh, dabbled a bit in Batter's Box and then HitterList, uh, which Scott Chu now masterfully manages for the website um so yeah i've been kind of a part of PitcherList as it's ascended to the heights that it has now reached and it's been a great experience and now here i am taking advantage of the uh technology and hospitality that fast had decided to spurn <laughs> um so yeah it's great to be here uh obviously i love fake baseball so why not do a fake draft about fake baseball right and podcast about it there Um, we go i mean it's just a natural fit so i'm excited to talk about this and and what is
2: your twitter handle john
1: my twitter handle is john j-o-n underscore metzalar which i mean spelled like it sounds um two A's at the end (laughs) (laughs) m-e-t-z-e-l-a-a-r yeah and uh are you a yankee fan i am not a yankee fan you Um, are a what fan I'm a Mets fan. I was what? the first four no letters way. of my last name spell Mets, so I was born into this. I didn't have a choice. You
2: were actually like in the '90s where they said Z with everything. Yes, you know, I was like grind, but with Z grinds. That's you know, right. yeah, it like was party Z.
1: Well, yeah, our, yeah. our family name was actually Mets but then but then when the, the '90s, 90s <laughs> hit, we wa- we wanted to stick with the trend, so. <laughs>
2: Um, all right, uh, so we're going to talk about this mock draft. John was the uh, ninth pick in this draft. Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna Jr., Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, and Jordan Alvarez were all off the board. Were you hoping for Mike Trout at this point? Did you feel sniped? Were there other guys
1: that you were debating between? Talked about this pick. I mean, I'm cons- every year I'm consistently the guy who thinks Mike Trout is a value. Um, and, I mean, look... Some people were trying to make a splash here. Pete Ball getting Julio Rodriguez number five overall. Um but I'm not here to make a splash. I'm no. not here to yeah, dive elegantly. Right. Yeah. I don't I want to win the fake fantasy mm, baseball draft. Yes. Um so I want a nice high floor and I feel like with Trout, I mean that, that's he's all floor right there. Um and the floor is so close to the ceiling that you really can't go wrong. I mean trout obviously. I can't live in there. <laughs> I just feel like Mike Trout, as long as he's healthy, and you know that's not a given anymore. I think at this point in his career, he can kind of be labeled with the injury-prone tag. But you know, last season, best barrel rate of his career, nineteen percent. Um, he became a little bit more aggressive, swinging at more pitches, hitting a ton of fly balls. But you know, that's kind of how he parlayed a lot of that hard contact into um, the amount of home runs he was able to hit. Uh, he still has some speed in there, ninety-fifth percentile sprint speed. I don't think the stolen bases will ever come back to the point where um, he can probably necessarily be argued as even like a top three pick anymore um, just because that element of his game seems to pretty much be gone, especially as he tries to curtail his injury injury risk. But um, yeah, I just feel like, you know, right off the bat, you kind of want to get some, some safety, a nice high floor. Um, uh, Typically, you know, I reserve the risk for the later rounds of the draft. So um, going with Trout I felt like was a was a pretty good call. And were you aiming to be ninth in this draft, or was it just kind of handed to you? No, I was not. It was another thing I was kind of just bored into. Um, I wished <laughs> I could have gotten an earlier pick. Um, I actually would have preferred something towards the tail end um, typically, especially because I feel like the f- there's a lot of uncertainty in the first round of drafts this year. Um, you know, you have Acuna who... You know, had a great season, but definitely still was kind of struggling with the knee issue. It's kind of hard to tell whether that's still going to be an issue next year. Um, Aaron Judge, you're kind of banking on another career year in a sense, in order for him to, I think, retain that first round value. Um, You know, Juan Soto obviously had a down year. It's hard to know whether young guys like Bobby Witt Jr. are going to take another step forward. So. There's a lot of question marks there. It's kind of hard to figure out who the clear-cut you know, top three picks are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think you're probably best off going floor early just because there is so much uncertainty there.
2: Right. It, it does make an interesting argument for, say, Mookie Betts to be near number one uh, just because of the second base eligibility in that floor. Something yeah. we, we were talking about a lot in first pitch Arizona was the value of high floor in Mookie Betts, in Freddie Freeman, and Vlad Jr., in Jose Ramirez. And yeah, Ronald Cunha Jr. off the knee. Is he okay? Is he fine? Uh, You have Aaron Judge. Obviously, some risk in that one. And then there's Mike Trout. 120 games last year, however. 40 home runs in that time with a .283 average. So, clearly he produces when he's there. It's just a matter of how much Mike Trout you're going to get. But yeah, he should be going at this point. It's interesting that you say that there's a lot of risk in the first round because really for me, the first 20 hitters, as I've said multiple times in this podcast, I'm sorry, check that on your bingo card, are the elite hitters that for me, I'm favoring ahead of Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns. Do you feel that way too?
1: Um, I would say typically my draft strategy is to go elite hitter first. Um, And I think you know to your point, there is so much uncertainty in those first few rounds that you kind of can't go like there's no really way of differentiating who the best pick there is, but yeah, I typically will go hitter in the first round, and then because I'm bizarro Nick Pollock after that, I will go straight pitcher for as long as I possibly are. You suggesting
2: can. that I'm super ugly now? <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, no,
1: the inverse
2: actually, yeah, okay, all right, I, we've all you, seen you, you're the handsome. One. <laughs> you, you do not have a face for radio, uh, John Metzlar. but no, I. You do go that path, and we'll talk about it in a second, but first is the second round where you went and get Rafael Devers Mm -hmm. ahead of Manny Machado and Austin Riley. Why did you go Devers?
1: Yeah, this was maybe a bit of a misstep. I was honestly juggling between Devers and Machado at this point in the draft, Um, and Schweppes took Jose Ramirez number one overall just for for context there. So I think that kind of speaks to how shallow third base is this year and um, how important it is to kind of lock down that position as early as you can even in a league as shallow as this um you know typically in a 12 team league i'm much more open especially with hitters at kind of churning through guys until you lock in on players who you know are just gonna have a breakout season like last year in our staff league picked up like michael harris um you know, certain guys that are just on nobody's radar, but if you're turning through players throughout the season, you're just inevitably going to kind it's of It's like my on... pitching strategy. Right, exactly. Um,
2: I should note, you might not know this about uh, Rick Graham and John Metzlar. Did it happen again this year? It did, right? Yes. This Unbelievable. Is four, four years. Yeah. Four years in a row. The PL Legacy League. This is, uh, in, in in the pitcher-less, pitcherless staff, I realized, hey, we have this amazing fantasy baseball staff. What are the coolest things that you can do when you have so many people that are into fantasy baseball? oh, you can make a relegation-based fantasy system. Mm-hmm. So we have three premier leagues, right? We have the Legacy League, then the Prodigy League, then the Futures League. And then we have all of these about like six or seven leagues that are all in the same plane. Yeah, And if you win one of those, then it's an ELO to get placed into the top three, which is insane. So I've been in the Legacy League all these years. And I five years mm-hmm. ago, I won. I won five years ago. That's because I wasn't around. Yeah. No, no, no. You, you were there. It was your first year, I think. No. Oh, no, you weren't. That was, you I were a 3.0 boy. I was the one me. right before. Yeah, I have a platypus. You have too many platypuses now. Because um, the last four years have been both Rick Graham and John Metzler in the finals against each other. Seriously, no one else has been in the finals the last four years. Yeah. And it's driving me insane.
1: And to Rick's credit, he has beaten me three out of four of those years. <laughs> and it's eaten me alive. Yeah. Um, it takes uh, me a full off season to recover, but
2: it's pretty wild. For a moment, it was Rick Graham and John Metzler, the, the winners of our fantasy leagues, as reliever ranks and hitter list. And there's just me, the schmuck, doing <laughs> pitcher list. How did you do this year? Uh, not great. Not yeah. w- Essentially, one day ruined my season. It was when mm-hmm. Lizardo and McGill both went on the IL.
1: You know what's funny? I think my record this year was like it was insane. 21 and it was two so or good something. this year and. You were one of the only people I couldn't beat. I think <laughs> it was so bizarre, and you didn't do particularly well. But every no. time I faced you, your team just went off.
0: Uh,
2: I was I was really upset this year. There, oh, I should have been so much better. Um, but anyway, I mean, also like last year, uh, I think it was one week left, and there were people who could have been relegated out or made the playoffs. Right. It was the parody was insane, and then of course it was just you and Rick. Right. But it, it, it's it's so funny every year. It's like. I think we need to, we even lower the transaction limit for you. <laughs> the Jonathan Metzler rule. Yeah.
1: Just like there's the Steve Cohen Wait, tax, it's just the, it's just the, the Jonathan mundane,
2: rule. The Monday and Tuesday <laughs> swapping is what John
1: would really, uh, Monday and Thursday, I should say. Well, one of my trademarks is I find loopholes in league rules and I exploit well, them good. until.
2: Lo- loopholes should be closed. <laughs>
1: yeah. But I mean, I think most people are good enough sports not to do that. Not the case no, with me. John I Metzler. just, I want to, yeah. I want to humiliate
2: opponents? so anyway i just wanted to to let everybody know that you got michael harris well congratulations you got michael harris in the (laughs) league you know i got spencer strider i still didn't pull that off you know yeah uh but anyway i mean i imagine if our powers were combined what could we achieve oh my god what could we achieve yeah scary to think um rafael devers 27 home runs last year 84 runs 88 rbi thank you so much for sitting through that tangent uh three stolen bases 295 average His hard contact rate was fifth best among all players in the majors at 37%. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you feel, by the way? John Metzler here is the one who came up with ICR, by the way, Mm. um, which is pretty awesome. That is ideal contact rate, taking the the outcomes in not just barrels, but also solid hits and uh, flares and burners. uh, And combining it into one stat saying this is what's good for a hitter. However, then Christian Mack says, well, you're doing it wrong. It's got to be overplayed appearances. Not a bad at ball events, you dingus. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, he improved upon it. Yeah, was, he calls uh, it IPA. But the root of it, ICR, was yours.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then, you know what? He, I, I'm i proud to be a pioneer. I'm glad I was able to lay the foundation for Christian beyond, to just take the it barrel. to that next level. You beyond know?
2: the Barrel is a great... Uh a great, great uh, pitch list article. It's a classic. Check it out in our PL library of articles.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It adds context to some of those other batted ball classifications that you see and are just like, what? What, what is that? <laughs> and what does that mean? Um, right.
2: We keep going on tangents here. I don't, this is what happens when someone's in person. Again, it's so great. Nick's <laughs> AD, ADHD kicks in. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, so anyway, Raphael Devers, why did you ultimately do this instead of Machado?
1: Um, I think I didn't do enough research into Manny Machado for, I remember when I used to dive into Manny Machado, my issue was with him was his propensity to hit a lot of ground balls, which usually if a hitter has a high ground ball rate consistently, I feel like they're open to a lot more volatility, both in terms of their power output, but also their um, batting average from year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that kind of stuck in my mind from years ago when I when I researched Machado, and I thought was still an issue for him, but when I, you know, dived back into it, it's something he's kind of addressed over the recent years. So I think if I had to do it over, I probably would take Machado here. Um, but Devers is not a guy that you should sleep on either. I mean, he has just a masterful all-fields approach. He's a line drive machine. He smokes the ball. Uh, 50% hard hit rate last year is in the top 4% of the league. He's always managed to do that. And I always love guys who marry that ability to, do, to hit for hard contact but also r- not strike out a ton, 18% strikeout rate last year was really solid uh the barrel barrel rate kind of speaks to somebody who could consistently hit you know 30 to 35 home runs in a given season so I don't necessarily know you can go wrong here I think Machado is going to obviously be in a much better lineup next season um and he doesn't have the volatility that I think he did so again I would probably if I had to do it over I would probably take that pick back but um yeah I think Devers you know Devers Devers performed really well last year and I'm 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 you know I'm pretty bullish on him keep in mind because
2: he has a lower strikeout rate and not really this super high walk rate that 2.95 average is expressed a little bit more in devers than it is somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that that's a positive there too. Uh Devers is interesting, he's a free swinger a bit. Yeah, his, his O swing is 38% uh the last 5 years is about 43%. Uh it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um I mean there there it makes me wonder if his swing decisions are great. Uh, but then again, the 295 average, and he has been performing at that level decently uh, over the years. So I would imagine the average does come down uh, because I don't think it's that sustainable with how much he chases. But I could be wrong about that.
1: Possibly. I, I feel like there are always going to be outliers, right? Like, you know, Vlad Guerrero used to swing at intentional walk oh, yeah. pitches and hit doubles. By you definition,
2: know, like, these people are
1: exceptions. Right. So there's certain players who I think can kind of overcome the profile that you can sometimes try to fit them into based on their, you know, their statistical profile. Um, And Devers just seems to be a guy who just knows how to put a good swing on the ball and, um, you know, really excel. The only thing I will say is, you know, with the shift being banned this upcoming season, it was something he actually performed well against. So I don't know that he's going to reap any kind of benefit from that as a sure, left-handed yeah. hitter. Um, that's something that kind of was in the back of my mind, especially with drafting hitters this season, is like look for left-handed hitters who were eaten alive by the shift because right. that could be a potential area and maybe where— maybe
2: avoid the ones who weren't because right. their impact is lessened, is your argument.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, Devers was a guy who actually did really well against the shift throughout his career. So, unfortunately, I don't get extra points for potentially getting a boost in his offensive production you from, don't. from none. that. Yeah. You get none. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. No stamp of approval from Nick no. on this one. It's a seal. Remember, it's a Pokemon.
2: <laughs> uh, we're going to move on here to the uh, to the third round. And really, you, this is where you started the bizarro Nick Pollock, right? Mm-hmm. This is why you said that, because you go four pitchers in a row. Right. And I, for you, John, I agree with it. Because oh. what's my strength is finding pitching on the wire. Your right. strength is finding hitting on the wire. Mm-hmm. So you should be getting... A stud rotation, and you certainly got that here. So you started off with Justin Verlander, and you took him over Brandon Woodruff, uh, Alec Manoa, Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease, Spencer Strider, Max Fried. Why did you go with
1: Verlander? Um, I mean, how can you argue with a Cy Young? He won the Cy Young he's the best pitcher in baseball clearly and I don't know what all these guys drafted in Zach Wheeler okay let's get
2: the uh, joke out of the way <laughs> Rick Porcello is all I need to say
1: I will all right so this was a point of contention during the draft actually I took Justin Verlander as my SP1 in the third round yeah uh Nick was very quick to criticize me for I was like, it no um, absolutely wrong and <laughs> let's listen All I I was saying, there's not a huge difference between Verlander and Scherzer going into this next season, especially now that they're on the same team, Um, in the sense that, you know, yes, Justin Verlander got lucky. He's not going to have another sub-two ERA this season. Right. Um, I know the counter-argument to that is like, oh, you can't just... You can't just add one Rangers, run. Suarez is a good example. 170, 170
2: or something like last year. It was like, all right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did end at like 3-8 eventually or so for Ranger, but you understand my point.
1: Right, but the stuff is total. like, we're it's apples and oranges if we're comparing Verlander Oh, yeah, well, no, and like, I'm just saying that, that thing about adjusting for luck and everything. Right, right. Um, And, you know, I forget what the points you brought up were, but all I wanted to say was Verlander last season, yes, he got a little bit lucky in the home run department. Um, and maybe there was a slight loss in movement on his breaking pitches compared to his peak years, which were 2018-2019. Um, but it wasn't really enough for me to be concerned. The fact that his velocity came all the way back, coming back from TJ, um, is obviously super encouraging. The fastball slider both returned uh, the third-best p of his career this year, um, which I think is encouraging. Um, I think it actually might be in part due in part— to the fact that Verlander was using his fastball a little bit less. Um, his 50% usage rate was a career low. I could see, you know, especially now that he's entering his late thirties, early forties, him starting to kind of adapt his repertoire a bit more to, um, you know, make use of the fact that he has these breaking pitches that could be used more, um, in tandem with his fastball and make the entire repertoire just a lot more effective overall. Um, so, I don't know. I just, I feel like, again, I probably would take this pick back. I think Spencer Strider was a guy I kind of had on my radar, and I think with the youth on his side and... um, It's and the Utes. The Utes. Yes. Yes. With the Utes on his side, excuse me. Yeah. Um. You
2: know, who had more strikeouts last year, Spencer Strider or Justin Verlander? Strider. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is 15. wild. 15. Yeah.
1: In yeah. about 40 fewer innings. Yeah yeah he was on my radar I was actually hoping he would make it back to me um, in the fourth round but unfortunately he got scooped by uh, Van Burnett um, but he's yeah a, he's a smart guy man I will say this though I asked I asked Twitter would you rather have Scherzer or Verlander first first pick in the draft next year and a whopping 75% said they'd rather have Verlander and uh, you know it, it was a poll of 12 people but <laughs> the results were resounding. So, so it was nine to three. Yeah,
2: it was nine exactly. nine to three. Yeah. Verlander over over Scherzer. But you know, small sample be damned. It's, I'm sure it was also Mets fans being like, well, this hating was, on this their was own pre, guy. This
1: was pre Verlander signing with them. No,
2: Mets. no, right. I'm saying like they're hating on Scherzer, and they're like, I don't oh, not want right. anybody yeah. else. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Yeah. But I mean, you were what? What is your argument against taking Scherzer in this in this spot? You
2: mean Verlander?
1: Verlander, sorry, yes. I uh,
2: I think that his strikeout rate being twenty seven or 28 percent is going to get worse. Um, I think the fastball was a lot worse this year, only a ten point six percent swing strike rate on the pitch, despite still elevating it a ton. Uh, I think that catches up to him a bit. The slider movement was worse. Uh, he had to increase his curveball usage a good amount, and it did well for him. I'm glad that he had a 67% strike rate on it. That's nice. Maybe that is something I'm overlooking a little bit. Still, I think that the overall package of Verlander is worse at this moment. And I think it's going to be a fall hard a bit uh, this year. Uh, I mean, that still is a productive pitcher. And it's really tough. The top 20 pitchers are all just so good. Mm -hmm. That it's hard for me to discern where exactly they should all be going.
1: Would you rather have Verlander or the next guy that got taken, Cease?
2: I would rather... Oh, no, 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 no. I have Verlander over Cease, I think. Okay. I think it, well, it's actually like neck and neck. Yeah? I uh, Cease, well, I've, I've talked too much about Cease. I mean, I thought you were talking about Freed, your next pick. Mm. I think Freed is a much safer version of Verlander.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Similar strikeout, right? Uh, kind I kind of think a different coming profile in, though, coming right? into like, next year. I mean, it's not really that similar, 27, 28% for Verlander, but I think that's gonna fall to closer to 25%, and there you go. Uh innings wise, pretty similar. Ratios have been great for Freed. Uh, I think it's just a little bit safer. Um, not as heavy of an injury risk as it is with Verlander being, you know, forty next year. Right. Uh Cease is I mean, look, this is the thing. Again, top twenty are so good. Yeah. There are so good. And I was so lucky. Like the fifth round has Nola, Castillo, and Bieber in it. Mm -hmm. Sixth round has Gallon, Musgrove, and Otani, and Gosman and Darvish. Like, is there a real discernible difference between them and Verlander? Not really to me. Right. Uh, So it's actually kind of great feasting right now because you get like three of the same quality for three straight rounds. And I kind of love it. Yeah. It's just how much faith do I have in the hitters that I'm passing on? So I might be passing on uh, hitters in like five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. And maybe because I got Nolan the fifth and I, I would have been able to get Gosman in the sixth and that's pretty dang good. Yeah. But I don't, I, I don't know if I can quite do that yet. Like turn away from Marcus Semyon, second base covered like that. Mm.
1: Well, I will say you bring up an interesting point, which is the top tier of starting pitching is a lot more muddled than I remember it being in years past, which yeah. is partially why I, I would typically my draft strategy is elite hitter first, five straight starting pitchers. Right. Um, especially in a shallow league like this, because I feel like locking down f- a staff of five aces and then kind of churning through pitchers for those last, like, two spots typically yep, um, will work out. Because, again, you'll stumble on a couple of guys yeah, who yeah. break out in any given Or just season.
2: follow my streaming rankings through the year. You'll fall, Right. You'll yeah, exactly. You got this. Um,
1: but, you know, this season I just didn't feel like that clear tier was there, which is partially why I did take Devers with my second overall pick. Um and then start kind of the pitching run in the third round instead. Um but yeah, I think you bring up a good point. Like it's you know, Cole, Burns, even DeGrom, Scherzer, like Alcantara, high. Right. Uh yeah. High. Yes. High. Sure. sure. Now, I don't think anyone <laughs> loves Sandy as much as you do, but um yeah, I mean absolutely. Like it's it's not clear cut. Um so it makes my typical strategy a little bit harder. Um, because i can't necessarily lock in guys that i know are going to be significantly better than the rest right. of that kind of band of, of pitchers
2: yeah it's it's difficult to navigate i worry that the uh i think the drop off of hitting is more drastic mm, interesting i could be wrong about this uh i mean I, man I, I look at your four guys and i'm just oh my lord that'd be so much fun
1: my starters yeah or? yeah so fun.
2: You, you're in such a good position at that point Mm -hmm. um but yeah the hitting is something that we're gonna have to talk about so let's, let's move on to uh to those guys but before we do we have to take a quick break
0: fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss that's why noom has created weight management programs that are made to last noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
2: So we're back. We're only in the fourth round. It's kind of funny. Uh, I never know where these breaks are going to go. And this one's like, oh boy, we are going to go long. Um, Max Fried is the fourth round. I mean, as I was saying before, he's a pretty safe play here in the 4th round. Last 2 years have been the same thing. Start with maybe 2 or 3 outings that are not good mm-hmm. and then be an absolute stud the rest of the way. At the end of the season, it was a 248 ERA and 101 whip across 185 innings. Yes, the 200 uh sorry, the 23% strikeout rate led to just 170 strikeouts. I get that. Only 5 strikeouts fewer than Justin Verlander. But my those those ratios over those innings is consistent with what it was the previous year three oh four and three uh, and one oh nine especially after the annoying start which was like four starts and then it was like a three uh, two five after that I mm-hmm. uh, did super well in twenty twenty two two five with a one oh nine in twenty twenty Max Fried seems like a very safe play here Metzler.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I like about him, um, especially because I think we kind of touched on the risk of Verlander. Um, not necessarily just repeating what he did, but pitching to an SP1, Uh, you want kind of the safe floor. And I feel like, especially with a guy like Freed, who has 632 career innings with a 52% career ground ball rate, um, you know that's going to create a much wider margin for error when most of your contact allowed is on the ground. Uh, And that's what I like about Freed. I just feel like the floor is really high. Um, It's the third straight year his walk rate has dropped, so we're kind of seeing year-to-year improvements with him, which I think is really positive development um and i'll take that high floor with an eight plus k per nine um on a good team all day so yeah i mean that's an sp2 right there um love the floor there i just love that i just love my own pick yeah you love, great, you love you yeah. love your own pick I Love the
2: hardwood <laughs> floors that you've created for yourself that's me, right uh carlos rodon is someone i would take first mm-hmm. i think rodon is an, an absolute stud uh talent
1: course- wise yeah i i'm worried about the injury risk, but yeah, he just had a whole season, you know. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. the thing. I uh, I'm I'm in on Rodon, same velocity too as 2021. Uh, but I like Max Fried here. I don't really think there's much to say. I'm all for if you're going for an early starter here, you get a nice safe floor. I would pair him with a higher strikeout guy if he's mm-hmm. your sb one, yeah. just because 170. I'm expecting more, closer to 190. Freed, I think there is more there with that new changeup, the slider getting better, more consistent. There's there's something a little bit more to unlock with Max Freed that we might see. Shane Bieber is your fifth guy, mm-hmm. and I was a little surprised to see that he only had a 25% strikeout rate this year, but 2.88 ERA, four whip. The worries that I had about Bieber, the lower velocity, were there. That that's actually what happened. He had he was throwing 91 when he came back from injury at the end of 2021. Everyone said, oh, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, th- I'm worried about it. Right. And what do you know? That velocity was very much declined, declined in 2022. However, it didn't really impact his slider and his curveball. Uh, 22% swing strike rate on that, and uh, each of them, actually. Yet, and he still had a good season, despite the fastball being much worse. Are you saying, okay, this is great. Clearly, it's proven.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think you actually brought up something in your like w- w- way too early pitching rankings, which was like if the slider and curve are as nasty as they are, does does the fastball velocity even matter? Right. You know what I mean? That, that's the um, lesson
2: I'm trying to take away with this. And I want to think that's right is that was his weakness before his weakness got worse. Mm-hmm. But as long as his skills that you like are still good. Does right. that matter?
1: Yeah. And I mean, he's always been a guy who's been pretty masterful in terms of his command. He kind of, I think, leaned into that a bit more last year, Um, you know, at the, you know, at the sacrifice of his strikeout rate. But um, yeah, I mean, he just has such a complete arsenal in terms of like pairing that command with those excellent breakers that I think the floor is fairly high, even if the velocity doesn't come back. And I, I mean, what would you put the odds at that he is able to reclaim that velocity at some point? Like it, Low. It
2: seems like really. Yeah, no, I would not. I would not anticipate that. I mean, I talked to uh, Andrew Bailey. Mm-hmm. Remember him? Yeah, I think I think Andrew Bailey. Oh no, Andrew Triggs. Oh, Triggs wow. from the A's, right? And one of I Eno's was able favorites. to uh, yeah talk to him in I think it was January, February this year. Um, talking about Shamanaya with his velocity increasing, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, shoulder injuries they come back, but they still need more time to heal." And that was his point to him. He he was also a little biased a bit because it's the Oakland Athletics, big f- friend of Manize, and we actually saw the velocity come back down a little bit this year. Yeah, it does get me thinking about that. Is that a real thing? Where shoulder injuries we might not see the velocity return in the first year, but the second year it could return. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm being too harsh on it, but it is rare for a guy to have higher velocity decline and then bring it back. Right. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not really going to think that we're going to see 93 mile per hour, 94 mile per hour Bieber again, yeah. but it clearly worked at 91.
1: Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, the hope is like the, the drop was so precipitous that I, I, h- I would hope at 20, you know, 27, 28 years old, he could reclaim a little bit of that. Um, just with another full off season of kind of conditioning and kind of get back in, getting back into shape, maybe building the strength in that shoulder a little bit more, but um, again, I, it's not the end of the world if he if he doesn't able, if he isn't able to reclaim that because he was sitting ninety one last year and you know look what he was able to do so
2: yeah when your when your shoulder becomes slim Jim's <laughs> it's really hard to
1: make a stake out of it okay? wow that's that's a good one is that is that from Triggs or <laughs> is, is that a right this, that is, this is this is this
2: is <laughs> <laughs> Um but no I think Justin Verlander fifth round again is another starter that's just great I feel solid with this one. Do I think he's going to be a top-five stud again? I don't, because I don't think he's going to flirt with a 30% K-rate again. Mm -hmm. It's possible. You're still getting the whiffs on the other ones, but I think the fastball's too uh, delicious Mm -hmm. for for hitters at the moment. Uh, 41% hard contact around. That four-seam was super high. Two more strikes with it, 70% more than he has before. So I'm a little worried about that. Mm -hmm. I got lucky with Noel on the fifth. I think Castillo right before it by Anthony Tucker is a better choice, but... Gallon, Musgrove, Otani after this? Yeah, no, you Bieber's the right one. And you took Gallon, actually, in the sixth round. Yep. I didn't actually anticipate so much love for Zach Gallon mm. when at First Pitch Arizona. And it's weird. I'm not drinking out of the Gallon's gal uh, mug right now. I've obviously been a giant Zach Gallon fan. Mm-hmm. And even through the year, I felt, uh, what's, what's the word? I felt uneasy. About Gallon's success. I know he had that amazing 40 inning stretch of, yes. of zero on run runs. Uh, amazing. It was more than 40 innings. And the end numbers for Zach Gallon were incredibly good 254 ERA, 0.91 whip, 27% K rate over 184 innings. He had that shoulder problem. If you remember at the beginning of the year, some people got him like the 14th round because of that. 31 were, <laughs> starts, and what do you know? Who cares? What shoulder, right? Right. They were playing Slim Jim Prices for Slim Jim Prices <laughs> you know? for quality steak. <laughs> oh, boy. For Peter Lugers. That's right. Um, I don't think that the, this whip is going to be this good. I mean, it was a 5.9 hit per nine, which is just why that's not going to stick around. It never sticks around. Yeah. It never sticks around unless you're Jacob Degrom.
1: I mean, he's consistently outperformed his ERA indicators. So I almost wonder: is it something where he's just able to manage contact better than pitchers in a way that's maybe not quantifiable?
2: Well, I mean, it was a four three ERA in two thousand twenty one with a four twenty six FIP mm-hmm. uh, and but, a three nine four X FIP for well But look
1: at the look at the years before that, like twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. There's nearly a full run yeah. between his that, that actually is, that is and true. His, his
2: fit, absolutely. Uh, maybe he, he could be one of those guys that bears down, mm-hmm. and I say that in that way as being a little facetious of like, what is that? Yeah. Um, you know, everyone is tr- they're all professional athletes. Uh, but maybe that is something to it. Uh, left on base rate has never been under seventy four percent for Zach Gallen. I do want to mention the defense in Arizona was far better than we any of us expected this year. Mm. And that may be contributing to the 237 BABIP that we saw from Zach Allen, despite a 48% ground ball rate. You usually do not see that. Yeah. Right? You see higher ground ball rate, higher BABIP. Mm-hmm. If you see a high fly ball rate, oh, that's when the BABIP drops. 237, I, I hate to play the, just the BABIP game here. But that clearly is going to change. Hip nine is, is going to go. But fine. Let's say it's a 110 whip. I mean, talking about the pitches, uh, Zach Allen got an elite 24% called strike rate on his fastball. His curveball is getting located a ton more. I I, I love this element of the pitcherless page, player pages. Mm-hmm. I'm going to plug it because you guys should be using them. Uh, we do an approach tab for the repertoire of individual pitches that actually gives you percentages of where it's located. Not just like a strike zone plot, you actually get a percentage. So the low lock, that is a low location, if you guys heard me all off season say low lock, that's 81% on Gallon's curveball. That is insanely good. 61% is the league average. This is absolutely elite. And he does the same thing with his changeup, 79% versus 65% on the changeup. He keeps these down and it's effective. They are great offerings. Uh, I think this is part of the reason why you're seeing that success from Zach Allen. I don't think it's going to... I don't know. If, if people are going to draft him higher than you did, you go, took him the sixth round. That's fine with me. Mm-hmm. If you get guys that are like, oh, no, fourth round, Gallon. I don't think he's this guy. He's like a three ERA, 111 whip, 26% K rate across like 170 innings. And if that's, you know, that's still really good. Maybe I'm be, like I'm saying that out loud and being like, "Wait Nick, what's wrong with you? Is mm-hmm. so you gonna go twelve and four next year? Probably not, yeah, I don't know. I've said everything. I haven't even let you say a single word about Zach <laughs> Gallon. I'm so sorry
1: well I, all I was gonna add is that I you know, given that he looks like a finance nerd, I feel like it's very <laughs> appropriate that he diversifies. Uh, the goggles are great, man. <laughs> I, I love him so much. um I just love you know the pitch mix. I just he's a guy who I think makes the most out of what he has and just kind of throws the kitchen sink at guys. Um, and I think that is kind of borne out in the difference between a lot of his expected metrics and his actual, um, um, output. So yeah, I mean, maybe not the flashiest guy I would want. And as my SP four, just based on my usual track record of having like solidified aces in those four spots. Um, he's kind of more fringe for me. Yeah. But no, these are, these are great. Yeah.
2: Um, these are great. Like you're going to have, you have four guys that you're just, no wonder you keep winning the league if you get hitters now. (laughs) So let's talk about hitters because this is, this is the thing now. If you feel like you have that staff, that's great. But are you going to be competitive on offense? Mm -hmm. And your, your tactic in these leagues is just like, I'm going to make sure I have a full lineup every day.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, churning through hitters throughout the year. I think it's, it's okay. Especially if you lock down starting pitching early, um, you know, in a given week, you can usually bank on those guys to win you ERA, WHIP, probably Ks, especially if you're able to stream, um, and especially if there's no streaming limits. Um, Nick has has ruled with an iron fist Seven, over the last s- few just years.
2: one transaction a day, right? That's, sure, that's pretty
1: good. At at one point, there was no transaction limit. Oh, I know. You had like a like hundred. You had like two hundred fifty like
2: transactions in the year. <laughs>
1: um, even more than that yeah i think i think i literally had 250 transactions at the end of the year it was, uh, no and one, one guy had like them. 60 right yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean like you can if you lock down those pitchers early you can you can give yourself a little bit of cushion over the first few weeks of the season i think to find the hitters who are gonna have kind of that special season um which is again what i was what i've been able to do the last two years in the staff league right um there's always guys that just kind of come out of nowhere, so to speak. I, you know, two years ago, it was like Jorge Polanco. Um, last year, again, like Michael Harris. Um, you know, there's just always like these names that are on no one's radar. Right. But if you are churning guys and kind of picking up guys who seem to be doing well initially and seeing how well it goes and kind of riding it Instead out. Instead
2: of just saying, oh, they're doing well, this
1: isn't going to last. Yeah, stop, right.
2: Stop trying to be so smart about it and just saying, okay,
1: maybe this does
2: last. Then great, then I'm all set.
1: Right. And don't fall in love with, you know, your first few picks. Especially in a 12 team league, it doesn't really matter if you win the draft. It feels good to have a really good draft, but yeah. if guys aren't panning out over those first few weeks, don't hesitate to cut cut bait. It
2: is it is kind of funny. I I drafted uh, my basketball team yesterday. This is right. my this is these actual real humans. Yeah, these are these are the kids <laughs> I coach for the year. I don't there's no waiver wire. Right. This is 13 14 year old rec basketball um the funniest part is that i this is really funny like there's no way the five other coaches are listening um is is the the talent pool it was it was like there were three like stud players like the they were these kids are really good mm-hmm. and then everything else is like oh right and we like okay there we are we run the draft and it says okay cool we're the second pick and then it says cool we're gonna run it one more time like oh no and then we become the sixth pick and we go oh gosh what are we gonna do Literally, our first two picks were kids that didn't show up to the evaluation. So we don't know how good they are. But we heard, like, whispers and rumors. It's like and, like an international I saw, free I saw agent, like right? Yeah, I saw, like, a video on a phone of one of them. I'm not even kidding. And then, like, the other one says, like, yeah, he's really good, you know, and everything. I'm like, all right. And that's, like, I, that's my way of, like, shooting the darts because I need somebody right. to compete against those top three to win. Right right you need and
1: to have the you know the
2: to win your Ioannis fantasy Cespedes, yeah so. <laughs> to win your leagues you have to hit on something right yeah and i I love the team that we draft there's some amazing kids on i cannot be more excited to meet them and work with them i remember seeing the tribe and say like oh if i teach them to like take that extra step or something like that i'm so excited it's just really funny to me half of my kids five of them i have not seen them play yet mm-hmm. the other half i'm like oh i can't wait to coach these kids right and so, yeah, that's I got to I gotta hit something with one of those unknowns for me to compete in this basketball
1: league. Is there the equivalent of like a combine? Like you're watching their skills. It's, it's actually really and- funny.
2: I'm sorry to tangent on this, but there's a uh, – it, it blows my mind. It's the most fun thing. I, I, I encourage everybody listening, if you're even thinking about it or thinking of other ways to give back to your community and you like sports, I, ens- I, I, I bet you there is a rec league in your city or town that are looking for volunteers like you. To just coach and it is their most rewarding fun experience um you just be able to like all right you know basketball you have to work with these kids and yeah. like make relationships with them and then really work together it's amazing and so how they set it up in this one is they have a tryout where it's it's a tryout but it's really just an evaluation they just play five on five with each other mm-hmm. and all the coaches line up with clipboards <laughs> so it's like take notes and stuff and right. it's a, it's like, can you imagine as like a 13 year old, yeah. like just you, you don't know anybody, you show up, you have to play basketball and all these adults are like with clipboards like whispering to each other and mm-hmm. like, uh, like unbelievable. What is, but for us, it's the most fun thing ever. Yeah. You know, like I lean in and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got, okay. Gonna, you see that little shot? Do you see the pumping of it? <laughs> we literally drafted a kid because he, um, he licked his lips and then wiped his shoes <laughs> because he's a gamer
1: oh is that what is well that,
2: like he's in he knows every, everyone's plays basketball has done that and like is into it when they do that. this is just an evaluation but he's yeah. like okay all right you know right and we're wondering like does this athletic set have to apply to that right anyway sorry this is the weird tangent <laughs> one because i got john metzlar in the studio here at the pitcherless headquarters yeah. um but that's that Gallon, and i love that you were talking about strategy and everything uh dansby swanson does he lick his lips <laughs> and and rub his
1: cleats. Um, he's got swag, so it's mm. not quite the level of licking your cleats sure. or anything like that. But um, I mean, it's
2: the beard, man. Yeah,
1: he's got great, unbelievable swag. It's the intangibles. That's kind of that's what you're kind of like
2: about. a beard that if you grew a beard, it would look like.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I'm actually trying
2: to see. Can you?
1: No, I cannot. Really? Before. Is, is I, it just the Van Dyke? I can only do a mustache. Yeah, you can't um, do the cheeks. The che- like turn to turn to your left. Yeah, there's <sighs> nothing there. This is why you had me here in person, so you could I'm, I'm just, I'm shocked. My... No, <laughs> you
2: don't want mine. Mine is like,
1: what is this? This
2: is this is trash that I have in my face. No, 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 no. And you also have a good mustache. If you don't know John Metzler's TikTok, it's good. Yes. Um, but Dan Zb. Swanson, okay, i, I really yes. got to focus. I'm sorry, focus everyone. This is, on, this is on me. Uh, short stops is a thing here. So outfield and third base is all that you have, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I have said this a lot. You have to have a plan for the infield. Yeah. Because especially second base and third base are the hardest ones. I mean, first base kind of it does have a fall off to it. Mm-hmm. Shorts thought there is more depth to it. Mm-hmm. And I think you did get um the last one that I would be like, okay, and get you're getting a seal of approval for this one for Dansby Swanson. Oh, all right. Because I think there is a massive drop off and you came back to hitting and attacked a place where you could get the biggest impact uh right away. So yeah.
1: tell me about Dansby Swanson. So this was kind of blew my mind, but on Raswell's Player uh, Raider last year, he was—I don't know if—I hope the mute caught that, but it was so loud that it reverberated off of the soundproof room and into my mic. Um,
2: I'm so used to muting in at my home office with someone else remotely, so I hit the remote button and then like I burp really loudly at times. And I totally forgot that, like, the mic is, I don't know, three <laughs> feet away from me.
1: <laughs> so now you all know, this is a look behind the scenes. Nick burps just constantly throughout his podcast. Sometimes. And, and sometimes he
2: needs It's because I drink water. I'm a hydro homie. Yes. Okay? Yeah, Sorry. You yes. will talk about Dansby Swanson at some point. <laughs> Go
1: ahead. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, Dansby Swanson, number nine overall player on Razzball's Player Raider last year. Number nine overall. Um, And Scott you brought up a really good point actually during the draft, which was that a ton of that value is because of where he was hitting in the Atlanta lineup for a while. Oh, yeah. Uh, He was hitting second for a good portion of the season. A lot of the value on the Raswell player, I think, was driven by his run in RBI totals and the fact that he kind of was able to contribute across the board in your standard five category uh, leagues. So... You know, it's going to be, I think, next year contingent on where he ends up in the lineup. I think most people are thinking he'll probably re-sign at Atlanta. Um, and if he does, he's going to have some competition, I think, for those top juicy spots in the lineup. Um, but I just feel like he is a really solid overall, like, hitter. And, you know, he changed up his bat and his approach in 2019 and has kind of steadily seen a, uh, a rise in his hard contact ability I see him as kind of a 25 to 30 home run hitter over a full season who can also, you know, hit a ton of line drive, steal some bases, hit for a palatable enough average. Um, so I just think it's a, he's a really solid all, overall player. And especially because at this point in the draft, you know, the next shortstop off the board was like O'Neill Cruz, which, you know, definitely worth the gamble. Um, but again, I'm not here to win the imagine. I'm not here to have fun. I'm here to win <laughs> the mock draft. Oh, so I, I need to make sure that I'm I'm setting myself up for really solid imaginary future performance. Um, and Dansby Swanson is that guy. He has that floor. I think, um, especially at middle infield, to to put me in that position. So,
2: well, all right. Uh, Dansby, 25 home runs, 96 RBI, 99 runs, 18 stolen bases, and a two seventy seven average. Uh, Yeah, first and second in that lineup for Atlanta last year. Uh, He does, as you mentioned, where is he going to go? And uh, where will he slot when he does sign is something I would want to think about. Um, And uh, that's the only shift I would have. But again, I want to reiterate after this, you said O'Neill Cruz, way riskier. This is your third hitter, and you need to secure something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carlos Correa went in the 11th round, which I think is a little too late. Um, That was such a steal, I think, by Pete Ball. Um, but I think it's because everybody else had a shortstop at that point, except Pete and Scott Chu. They're kind of playing this chicken a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, that's such a steal! What a good pick, Correa. Uh, Correa, eleventh round, eleventh round, Correa. I think Korea is overrated. I think so too. But eleventh round, yeah. Man. If you win the ninth round, it won't be
1: so whatever. I it, prefer Dansby Swanson. Is he in the seventh? Is he a great fantasy player though? Like, I he's a great base. Like his defense, I think elevates him in terms of real baseball ability mm-hmm. um and his arm in particular but what is he what can you lean on from Correa in fantasy that really like puts you over the top sure you know well what I mean? it puts like, you
2: over the top is different than like I'm not saying Correa is over the top which would be like top five rounds or something mm-hmm, right I'm saying like yeah, looking I at mean, the rest of the pool here of shortstops Carlos Correa is a lot more stable as far as production goes
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's totally... That's all I'm that going That makes for. sense. Yeah, the context of it for sure. Um, but
2: uh, but anyway, Dansby Swanson, I'm going to be targeting him, uh, Willie Adamas, uh, as my backups if I don't get Corey Seager, uh, Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, that kind of stuff. So you might see me with a good amount of Dansby Swanson. Probably going to get Willie Adamas again, sixth round. Felt good with that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's probably going to be my target for drafts uh, in 2023. You went back to pitching again. Why? Eighth round.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm i saying I like to have five oh, man. established guys. Was there
2: someone else you wanted instead?
1: Were you going to um, go after
2: Christian Javier?
1: I was consi- – well, I wasn't considering Glass now this early. He actually went. Right after. Um, yeah, right after. Um, uh, he was somebody who was on my radar. Snell was sort of on my radar, I guess. Um, yeah, Javier he existed. Yeah. Again, I think – Within the first 10 rounds, roughly, is where I like to go for. So, and I think that's kind of borne out in most of my picks to this point. Like Trout, Devers, Verlander, Fried, Bieber, Allen, Those are guys that I think can be counted on to a certain extent for above average performance. Maybe you're not going to have like a Cy Young season from those pitchers necessarily, sure. or like an MVP season from those hitters, but. As long as they're on the field, you know that they're going to produce. Um, there's not really that many question marks. I think once you get past the 10th round or so is when you should start loading up on that risk because the player pool is obviously starting to get a bit um, shallower. And, you know, this, these are the guys that are going to be churned on your roster anyway um, over the course of the season. So, um, yeah, in terms of who I went with next for the pitcher, Clint Kershaw, again, I just feel like it's a safe... Pick, especially as my sp5 um he's had an era above 3.03 once in the last 14 years um surprisingly had a really solid year with his fastball last year um by pval. I'm wondering if that's because of how he sets it up with his slider it's so funny to see his pitch usage chart like if you ever pull up kershaw's pitch usage chart throughout his career to just see it very gradually um, <laughs> and continually drop yeah. like the fastball usage and just it's just beautiful, honestly. Like, usually, it's so much harder to track trends um, when you're just kind of pouring through the data, but then when something is just so linear like that... Right. Um, yeah, make a full it X of that slider. Yeah.
2: Uh, 43% usage for that slider for Kershaw. This past year, 40% on the fastball. 46. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's really... The slider is one of the best in the game. Uh, the curveball, the skyhook, he's still really good. Yep. Yeah. It's the only skyhook in L.A. I've ever heard, right? Pretty sure. In yeah. all of history, there's only been one skyhook, and that's... Kershaw's curveball in L.A. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the four-seamer, uh, he jams it down and in a lot. Uh, I think he does lose his command of it a decent amount, so much more than he used to, and that's where you see any sort of damage come. But, I mean, 228 ERA, 0.94 whip, 20% percent k rate for Kershaw last year in 126 innings. Just about how much you're going to get. I'm a little surprised that you went after this because you didn't really need this extra element. Uh, you really need to catch up on hitting, and there are some really good guys here. Luis Severino and Nestor Cortez, if you are going to go for one, I would think that for you, you'd want – you already have your ceiling, you know? You you just get – get like if you're going to go for a star, just get more things so you don't even need to think about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, just, you know, it, again – I've been in the championship for straight it's years. Funny, oh for my to, god! I just saw the twinkle in his head. eye, <laughs> the head cock, the, the shoulders back. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So listen, this is my strategy, okay? I get five <laughs> really solid, yeah, high floor pitchers. Yeah. Um,
2: well, I, I, that's what I'm saying though, is that you, so you think the floor of Kershaw is higher, regardless of the innings, because the the volume is going to be lower. Y-
1: lower than severino
2: i uh, i would say cortez at the very least i uh, i would yeah. say Framber valdez uh even though the whip is going to be a little bit worse i think you're going to get a lot of wins out of that which is kind of what you're looking for
1: yeah that's a fair point um yeah you might i might prefer Framber, and honestly like at this point when we were drafting well this was like two months ago yep there were some question marks on whether kershaw was going to be even playing this yeah year. right so, we thought we might retire yeah um, so there was definitely some question marks there. I just feel like the pool of pitchers here, um, you know, it is a higher it is a higher floor with Kershaw, but I also feel like the ceiling is still there. Mm. Oh um, yeah, two
2: twenty eight ERA last year, you know, sub one whip. Right.
1: Um so
2: I mean I'm playing devil's advocate here, buddy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're kinda you're kinda planting a seed in my mind, but I gotta I gotta Lance Lynn? gotta push you Lance out. Lance Lynn's a fun one too. George Kirby, Logan Webb. Yeah. Those are Chris fun Bassett. ones. But, again, I'm not here to have fun. I'm here to win. Oh,
2: my Lord. Okay, so you make a really good point, though, about 10th, 11th round being really where the fun starts of mm-hmm. pitching. You have Joe Ryan in there, Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lazardo, John Gray, Tony Gonson. And, of course, this is going to shift. This is how our draft went, and I think that does represent um, a good accuracy of yeah where we think those guys are going to go. I hope they go later. That would be great. Um, but now you finally need to shift to hitting, and you go uh, – <laughs> Unbelievable. You just avoid infield. You're like, what is an infielder? Um, you don't get a second baseman until the 16th round. You don't. You, you wait ages you for your catch. Of course, that's your catcher. Um, ninth round, though, is Tyler O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. Talk to me about him.
1: Yeah, so this is kind of where the transition to more riskier picks, I think, starts to take place. Um, O'Neal did manage to go 14-14 in less than 400 at-bats. And that was despite playing through a hamstring and shoulder injury. Um, And that's something that I kind of talk about a lot which is if you don't roster certain players throughout the year, sometimes the fact that they have been kind of grappling with injuries throughout that season doesn't really show up on your radar. And you look at their stat line, you know, without that context and you think, oh, this guy's a bust or the breakout season he had last year was just a total fluke. But with the context that he was playing through injury and still managed to have Arguably a fairly productive fantasy season, I think is really encouraging. Um, and from when he first got off the I.L. in July, his harder hit rate was consistently in the 48 to 50 percent range. So, oh, man, still that's crushing the ball.
2: hard hit rate was was way up. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so you see right there that once he kind of didn't have that shoulder injury kind of weighing down on him, he was getting back to the guy that he was when he had his breakout season. On top of that, he still got 98th percentile sprint speed, career low whiff rate of 30%, which I think is the big thing that you worry about with O'Neal, because the thing that was always holding him back was his inability to make contact. It wasn't when he made contact, it went far, but you know, his ability to actually put the bat on the ball was was something that hampered his ability. And we saw last year, career low whiff rate knocked five percent off his strikeout rate. Uh, and was chasing fewer pitches than in his breakout season in uh, 2021. So these are all really positive signs. You add that to the context of his injuries that he was fighting through um, and still managing to show those improvements, I think with a fully healthy season coming up, I think there's a ton of value right here with O'Neal, especially in in fantasy leagues, because he's a guy who could hit upwards of 30, 35 home runs, chip in 15 to 20 stolen bases— And, you know, if he continues to show these improvements in his contact ability and ability to lay off um, pitches outside the zone, you could see a palatable batting average that's not going to really hurt you. So um, he's a guy I'm definitely taking the discount on this year um, to get him in. What is this? The ninth round, I think, is a solid value. I, I wouldn't typically in a league this shallow be getting my second outfielder this early because, again, like you said, I have an entire infield that I still need to fill, but and what is the easiest position to fill? Outfield. Yes. Yeah. Right. And and it sneaks up to you in a league that's shallow. I always for I I only surprise. Play, <laughs> I only play in in deep deep difficult professional leagues. So okay. all right for all me right. to for me to you know kind of slum it a little bit and play in these these twelve team leagues, it's it throws me off my game a little bit. But um, in this case, I had to make an exception you know, the potential here is just so high that you might as well kind of throw a lotto ticket. Um, he's not all that dissimilar from other guys that were going in this round like Max Muncie. Um, there's a ton of risk there, obviously. Well,
2: why didn't you get Kevin Biggio though? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to
1: go down this? No, path? I don't want to go down
0: this path. No,
2: <laughs> I, um, that is a fun joke that we have, but I, I will say about Tyler O'Neill, you did take here in the ninth round. Um, Contact rate is still below average. It's five points below below of uh, uh, league average at sixty nine percent versus the actually six points seventy five percent of league average. Uh, the O swing rate is below average though, twenty percent. As you were saying, it did go down from thirty percent instead of thirty one point six percent for league average. So I hope that he can continue to make hard uh, contact because, as you mentioned, it is very hard. His ICR rate is forty percent, which is very very good. Uh, always below forty percent is the league average. Um, hard contact rate is tw- uh twenty seven, which is fine, one forty eighth in the in the majors mm-hmm. because he strikes out is still a twenty seven percent clip, and that's really the issue. Two twenty eight average, but as you're mentioning, he did better as it went on, um, and I hope that Tyler Neal does bounce back. Now. Man, we are going so long on this one, Chris Bryant. I mean, this is really the tune of this. If he, if what I'm getting from you is you got to shoot for the highest. It's so funny because this is what I do with pitching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're like, well, then I'm just going to burn and churn him, Yeah, and I'll find something else.
1: Yeah, Bizarro Nick Pollock.
2: Yeah, Bizarro That's Nick mean. Pollock. Yeah, it's fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's just have a team that we both start drafting in the tenth round, right?
1: Yeah, uh, just a but blank team. I, I want to say it is nice drafting with you because I'm we're never in competition for the same players. Oh yeah, it's like I'm <laughs> drafting all the aces while he's drafting the bats, and then vice versa later in the draft. So it's very yeah. Nice to we not we have to text worry. each other to say, hey, who should I take right now? <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, Chris Bryant in the tenth round, continuing that trend of bounce back candidates trying to get value. And in every draft, you're trying to find value somewhere. You're trying to get it with hitters in the ninth and tenth round. Here with Chris Bryant. What do you see from Brian in 2023?
1: Yeah, I mean, anytime you're dealing with a guy who's been injured again, kind of touching on the same points we talked about with O'Neill, you're gonna get a huge discount. And I you know, I know Fast Talks touches on this a lot when he does his analysis, but I wish there was more of an emphasis put on the psychological aspects of Alex of Think drafting. Fast. Yeah. Right. So like and I, I think there is so much validity to that because there are so many um Biases and um, unconscious things that kind of work into how we approach our drafts and how we approach valuing different players. Um, you know, something I, I mentioned a long time ago with like the Joe Schmo effect. Oh like, yeah, what but, was
2: it? Skip Schumacher uh, or Scott
1: uh, Schebler. Scott Schebler. He
2: just sounded like an office job, right? <laughs> right?
1: Yes, he sounds like a guy who has a job at Pep Boys. <laughs> um, and it impacts if you have his a value. Job at Pep Boys, that's awesome. By yeah. the way, I don't. We don't want you to. Like you have on one hand you have Scott Schebler and then on the other hand you have Dansby Swanson. It's like the the appeal and the way that that name sounds just makes you want to draft, especially that guy. how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think there is. You know, I think we we sometimes overestimate how likely an injury in the previous year is going to predict an injury in the following year, um, especially for a guy like Bryant who. Yes, he had a series of injuries in Colorado, but you know, playing in Colorado is obviously a very beneficial place to hit. He managed to have the career best uh, strike his his career best strikeout rate in the short time that he was on the field last year, and had well, one of the highest ex-WOBAs uh, of his career against both breaking and off speed stuff. So, if you know anything about cores, you know that it can sometimes tamp down the movement of breaking and off speed pitches. Sometimes that can result in better performance against those pitches as a hitter. We see that borne out in Brian's performance in the brief time he was on the field. And I think there's no indication that this is going to be a recurring issue for him going into the season. And as a guy who should have third base and outfield eligibility um, heading into the year, is going to be hitting in cores, um, has a long track record of performance, is probably going to be hitting in the heart of that lineup. I just think there's a lot of things going for him, and he's worth— Kind of taking the risk, especially at this point in the, the draft, and especially considering how shallow third base is. I know I already have a Raphael Devers, but this gives me a little bit of insurance if you know injury befalls him, or you know it just gives me a little bit more flexibility with my roster to have a guy who can who could probably slide into either of those spots in my on my roster. Yeah, flexibility
2: so. about Monday and Thursday. Yeah, right. The, the one thing that, that stuck with me so much is Alexander Chase telling me, "Look." Head to head leagues, how you win them are getting the most played appearances in a given week. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm sure that's what you preach all the time.
1: Yeah, definitely. You want to make sure you have, um, you know, and that's something that comes up a lot, especially when you're looking at your matchups. You have to read what's coming down the pike. So you look, if you're smart in a head to head league, you're looking at your opponent's roster. You're seeing, you know, on, on days when guys are typically off, let's say, you know, Sunday, Thursday, you know, slates in the schedule when there are typically less games you're you're looking at how many batters he can slot into his active lineup first how many you can right and then you're tailoring your roster decisions in terms of free agent pickups to make sure he doesn't have them yeah if 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 i'm choosing between two guys on on the wire and one of them is playing on that off day and gives me that extra you know four at bats or whatever in a matchup that gives me an edge so that's going to give that player the edge and i'll pick him up instead so These are all things that you have to weigh, I think, especially in head-to-head matchups. I think a lot of times people sometimes wish that it was just kind of a set it and forget it thing, but if anything, it's probably the most active format you can play in because there's always something to think about and to analyze whether it's on your side of the roster or your opponent's. Right. Um, So yeah, yeah, the flexibility of Bryant is is nice because he can be moved around to maximize the amount of at-bats that I'm getting.
2: Yeah. Uh, I do that for pitchers mm-hmm. uh, where I, I, I say this all the time. I'm looking at my staff versus their staff. I'm counting. I essentially make a very generalized projection for each of their guys. My guy is equal to his guy, mm-hmm. you know, and just how many do you have stacked up? Then you realize, oh, no, I'm down like three good guys or right. something. Yeah. Then you say, OK, I need to outpitch pitch him uh, like I need to get more guys than he does to cover that. Yeah. Right. You have to make your own weekly projection for your team versus theirs. If you can do that on a Sunday, Monday, whatever it is to set it, you'll be so much more ahead. Yeah. I have to spend more time in my head and clearly to take down Metzlar. <laughs> uh, we're just going to put a handicap on you. Do you get one transaction a week? <laughs> the Metzlar
1: rule isn't strong enough. Either. I mean, se- we
2: had a seven, right? It
1: was seven? It was originally, I think, like 15. Yeah, and oh, my
2: I gosh. Just- uh, well, the, the problem the problem with transaction limits is preseason. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a league where you had four a week, which actually in-season isn't pretty good. I think yeah. it's actually good in-season. However, it is so bad after your draft because you don't get an extra amount when the week starts. Mm-hmm. So we would draft like a week before the season started. I got two IL guys. So I have two extra draft picks. So let's say I fill those up, then there's more things that come out before the first game of the year. yeah and then I don't get like all of week one, which was 10 days, I get two more after those. I only have four for those 10 days and the, oh my God, yeah, I was I, I was so anxious. There were all of these guys I wanted to pick up, all of this, and I just had to sit there and wait. Well, some, someone had just one pickup. Like, how do you have only one pickup? How do you live like this?
1: Oh, I mean, that's the worst. You do need to have some flexibility there because it's almost inherently unfair if a guy you're going up against. Like, I'm not making excuses, okay? Rick, Rip Graham beat me fair and square this year. But I will However. say, but I will say <laughs> during our matchup... It just so happened that going into the matchup he had more two start pitchers, so I had to find a way mm. to try to circumvent that. It's almost like he, you know,
2: planned for this. Yeah. He all cre- all credit to him. Yeah. Quote unquote.
1: No, 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 quote but. unquote.
2: <laughs> that is a quote but. of this podcast that all credit to Rick Graham for winning the series one three out of no, the No, he four. has
1: my number, okay. He's yeah. three and
2: one against he me. calls you every night. Yes. To remind um, you. But,
1: but yeah, I mean, you you do need to have some roster flexibility in your league in order to kind of offset that. So that there is a level playing field to it, in right. a sense. Um, but yeah, you also touched on something interesting, which is the use of IL slots. Like, an IL slot is a part of your roster. If you let it sit empty, you're throwing away an yeah, opportunity right. to exactly. stash... Right uh, player so anytime that you're you have an empty il slot you should be looking on the wire for a guy absolutely who down the road now to help one
2: you. thing i do want to mention about that people can get way too attached to the guys in the il
3: mm-hmm.
2: i burn in the hand guys legitimately yes. i i cannot express that enough do not throw away the now there will always be more now i talk about in dynasty leagues i say there's a three-year window there will be a new prospect the next year but even in season a redraft if you are not having you are giving away a roster spot for an il's Situation when they are not returning within a week. Yeah. Oh boy, you got you got to move on.
1: Yeah, you you have to. We saw that what two years ago with like Syndergaard, Sale, Severino, guys that like oh entering this past year. Yeah. Oh yeah, or two years ago. Yeah. Like at the at the expense of your roster. Right stashing guys who are on the il that you expect you're like oh he's going to come back in three months and be an ace yeah and then there's setbacks and then like
2: right and then you're holding you're not whole necessarily year and you an ace right. and uh and the problem is that then you have someone that actually should be stashed in your il right and then you're losing a your roster spot and those roster spots especially in april oh my gosh mm-hmm. april and may roster spots are everything
1: yeah 100
2: oh that you don't get spencer strider or christian javier on your teams if you don't have that roster spot right Absolutely. Um, so back to the thing. Man, this is the longest five. This is the <laughs> longest one. I thought it would be with Ben Palmer, but no, it's okay. going to be with you. Rowdy
1: Tellez is up. Oh, That's boy. Right. You like some Rowdy. I do. Why? Um, he was one of the guys that, you know, talk about churning guys, talk about discovering guys throughout the season. I mean, he had just an amazing season last year, and He was someone that I just picked up and dropped constantly. Right, like Christian Walker Um,
2: almost kind of was like this too.
1: Oh, yeah, Christian Walker, another one um, that I had on my roster for for most of last season and and benefited from. 35 home runs last year, 89 RBIs, uh, 219 average, so that hurt you a little bit. But, you know, in a 12-team head-to-head league, if you're stacking guys who have a ton of power, typically you're going to come out ahead because a home run will give you a run a bunch of RBIs it'll help you in the home in the home runs category and it's a hit so it's touching on most of the fantasy categories and you're usually going to have a slight edge if you stack up on power in a head-to-head league so um yeah Tellez last year 116 mile per hour max EV top two percent in the league the dude has power um we see that in the 12 percent barrel rate and with a strikeout percentage under 20 percent again this is kind of touching on what I like to see a marriage of power and contact um you don't often see guys who make this much contact with a below average whiff rate, but he managed to do it with just a 23% whiff rate. He was shifted on. So, we got getting back to the ban of the shift this season. He was shifted on in 361 of his at bats last year. Oh, man. Uh, and he hit 219 with a 34 WRC plus when getting shifted. Take that out of the picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that batting average is going to most likely shoot up this season. Um, and again, the power and contact ability is legit. So with the shift no longer kind of tamping down his potential offensive production, I could see this as being a really big year for Tellez. Um And I just think he's a really solid bet value, especially if you want um, some above average power production.
2: What was the number you gave for how many uh, uh, at-bats? 361. Okay. So then you have 121 strikeouts and 62... 62- uh, walks in there and you said at bat's not played appearances right
1: mm-hmm. yep
2: so roughly i mean he had about 600 played appearances 121 that's down to 480 then you take the 62 that's down to 420 uh 420 out of how many 361 you said mm-hmm. so I mean he had a 219 average last year so essentially when balls in play uh that's what the average was on his shift yeah you take you change that maybe that's a 240 and he's a big bopper
1: yeah, right? yeah, and I think these are guys that you should have on your radar in draft this, this is, year. Like, this
2: is a guy that you should be getting because you need production in some way. The three golden stats of hitters are what, John? Um, for five to by five leagues, average? No, hits, doubles.
3: <laughs>
2: John. <laughs> It's home runs runs in RBI Right. Yes. cuz average is <laughs> it, it, even if you have a tw- 240 average is 24% chance of a hit versus right. the 260 has 26%. That's mm-hmm. what you're dealing with over a very small sample of a week. Yeah. Very shifty. Stolen bases are also if you have 25 stolen bases in a year that's one a week and mm-hmm. that can be very weird too. Yeah. So you focus on those three productive stats of home runs um ru- uh, runs in RBI yeah. and more stable and sticky week to week. Right. So you go with that with Roddy Telles, and you're going to get a big bopper there, and it's really hard to find that later on in drafts. You got one, good stuff. Um, close to seal of approval there. I'm going to give you one for I, uh, nah, I'm not. <laughs> take <laughs> it back. I take it back. Um, I want to do like the, of the collective of the four starters in a row. Um, <laughs> Christian
1: Yelich now, twelfth round. Are you still a believer here? Um, not necessarily, but you know. At- this point in the draft things are looking pretty bleak for the most part um and you know that it's tantalizing to see what he was able to do at one point in his career and to think if he could ever just rediscover that ability to elevate the ball is barry
2: bonds is hitting coach again no
1: right um but why? Just why can't he rediscover that magic? <laughs> he, he found it. He found it once. It was there. We, we were talking about his potential if he ever discovered it. He did. He became an MVP <laughs> caliber hitter. And then he lost it just overnight. It's just wild. Um, the ground ball percentage has just been getting worse for five straight years. Um, he's not whiffing or chasing more than he did um, during those years. His strikeout rate has been fairly stable. His hard hit rate has been stable Still on the high end. Um, he's just, again, not elevating the ball enough. And it, it seems like some such a simple thing. It has essentially cratered his production over the last few years. But um, he was maybe the highest ceiling st- stolen base threat in the player pool at this point in the draft. Um, and it was something I needed to focus on because... You, know, you need I, to be competitive in it. You don't want to completely punt it. Right. Like Trout, not probably going to give me that many steals. Maybe Devers gives me a handful. Dallas. Maybe... Maybe Swan maybe Swanson gives me ten. Swanson, Swanson. I, oh man, <laughs> Donsby Swanson, Dansby Swanson, uh, <laughs> from Wisconsin. Um, yeah, like O'Neill could. It's just there was a lot I of heard question here marks. first. He's going
2: to the Brewers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. I'm breaking the news right here <laughs> on the pod. Um, so yeah, I needed to kind of get steals. It, it. I wasn't necessarily banking on this pick as like, oh, Yelich is going to rediscover his magic and bounce back. It was more I needed a guy who could steal ten to fifteen bases and the upside of the pick makes it a little bit more tantalizing. So that was the thinking here. Um with He had ninety nine runs last year, Christian Yalich. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not a he's not a Cody Bellinger. Like those guys you kind of like group into the same category. Uh, re- like, yeah. I remember like last
2: year Cody Bellinger or Christian Yalich, I said, neither one, please. <laughs> um.
1: So why why don't you write hitter list, Nick? Right. Clearly, you 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 see. There these was a time. A mile away. There
2: was a time that I planned to do SP roundup at night and batter's box in the morning.
1: Oh my god! And your 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 mental health right now is in tatters. So I can't even. Imagine. Well, I do like, the
2: streaming. Uh, I I do the streaming article in the morning anyway. Now mm-hmm. you know I still spend my mornings yes. working. So theoretically, I could be doing that for yes. an hour or two instead. Yes. Yeah. Prove no. it prove it yeah please yeah i said i could not that <laughs> i want to uh i cannot thank the entire battles box crew for holding that down oh yeah shout out uh, and of course scott you for doing the hitter list um that john is just so thankful for because i i was terrified when you said you weren't doing it anymore i mm. was oh it's boy. for the best scott <laughs> has carried I mean, yeah, the torch he's done so well. masterfully absolutely um but i it, christian yellich it's fine I get it. I mean, he'll get runs, too. It's not like he's a complete dead. Yeah, I mean, you know? if things
1: break right, he could go 20-20 next year. OBP like was
2: 39 possible. in the majors uh, at 355, mm-hmm. so we will get a base enough to steal bases and get your runs. Okay. Uh, we got it. We really do have to speed through this. Okay, oh, okay. my Lord. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, Camilo Duvall. You're like, oh, yeah, right. Saves are a thing in my league. Mm-hmm. So you went with Vol. I like this pick a lot.
1: Yeah. Never pay for saves. Uh, it's another thing that me and Rick Graham are at odds on. Um, <laughs> well, no, I would imagine Rick does agree with that. We actually, we debated, we debated this on uh, the podcast with Miles Nelson on his debate podcast. We're oh, paying for saves, yeah, oh, for, he for, was, on Pitcher's Duel. He this was is, for, yeah. Man,
2: that is, if you don't know, if you know what Pitcher's Duel is, you are a legit Pitcherless <laughs> fan, I gotta say. Yeah. Because uh, I was one that ran about only four, and the Miles like, I can't keep this up uh-huh. and I'm going to move to other things really I mean he really he had to focus on their stuff Um, he could you guys know he's a great host yeah no, um, he was. but I uh, but yeah that wasn't ever on the proper network either that was like that was never on the main feed it was oh, its own individual feed it was a deep cut a deep cut so yeah. you guys know that one I, I might go back and listen to that one because I think Rick Graham is like it's, us though it, you don't pay for the thing you're good at
1: yes well right? full disclosure after the podcast he talked. we talked about how for the most part he does agree that you don't necessarily pay for saves but obviously it's the context of the league there's so many yeah, mitigating factors that right. determine in what circumstances you do pay i mean, for i kind of don't want to deal with it at all right well that's that i think that's the mindset of most people who yeah. do pay for saves is i don't want to try to figure out if daniel bard or uh alex colomay are going to be the oh, closer man. in colorado i don't want to pour through news reports i remember reports, watching his debut like,
2: and thinking like maybe he'll be a starter for the race
1: yeah i mean like th- but to your point, nobody wants to deal with the headache of combing through baseball news and beat writer tweets to try to figure out who the closers are. You want to draft Josh Hader, and you don't want to think about it
2: Yeah, anymore. especially if he's a down-the-round, my
1: lord. People, yeah.
2: I'm telling you, man.
1: So means- I get it, I get it. But I am a psychopath, and I like to pour through beat writer tweets and local news and try to f- well, get an edge on uh, figure out who the closers are. At least you're aware of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Th- That's the number one thing in drafts. Know who know your skill, know your strengths and your weaknesses and cater your drafting strategy to them. Absolutely. So, I like to find diamonds in the rough with closers. I will never ever 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 draft a closer in the first 12 rounds. 12? You're, yeah. you're
2: saying 12 because you drafted Devon in the 13th? Right, that's why you're
1: saying
2: (laughs) that. Uh, Duvall's a solid choice. I took Clay Holmes. um, I I call him the Adobe. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you have Camilo here. Uh, Now you get it. Now, now that's a good one, right? Thank you. You know it's good when it takes a couple
3: seconds to (laughs) something.
2: But I, I mean, I I thought I got lucky with Clay Holmes. I saw Felix uh, Felix uh, Batista go in the uh, the twelfth by Rick Graham, of course, and I thought, oh no, what have Mm -hmm. I done? Like wait a second there aren't any left um but yeah i mean duval should work he should be the guy in in san francisco yeah. he has good enough skills to do that they almost got judge it could have been even a better save situation maybe they'll get dansby mm-hmm. brandon crawford no not really gonna happen well we'll see i'm um, gonna move on you got more stolen bases in whitmerryfield maybe
1: yes you're um, you're really expecting
2: this bounce back because he was much better in toronto
1: right well yeah, mm. was he and he wasn't he had so the thing was they used him as a part-time player once he got to Toronto so I think the issue with Merrifield last year was he didn't really have the opportunity to get into a groove and then he got traded and then he was a part-time player so there was just never that chance to kind of straighten out his season um because the underlying numbers were really not all that concerning he wasn't striking out more than usual you know he's getting up there a little bit in age now especially for a guy who relies on you know his legs for most of his value but um yeah, just getting being up not... there in age, and he's thirty three. I'm like, oh boy,
0: <laughs> I'm right there with you,
1: man. Oh I'm, man, I am thirty three as well, um, and I have to say, I am get uh, my knees hurt climbing stairs, so I can't even imagine what <laughs> Merrifield is going through. Um, but you know, he, I just don't see anything in the underlying numbers that are like, oh, this is an age related breakdown, and he's no longer Whit Merrifield of old. Like, the strikeout rate was pretty much on par with his career norms. Um, you know, we're not expecting power for him, but the the barrel rate was you know, essentially on par with what he's done throughout his career. Um, He maybe pulled the ball slightly more than usual, but it was still just at 35%. So he's still spraying the ball to all fields really well, which you'd love to see from a guy who you would expect a high batting average from. Sprint speed's still up there, 84th percentile. Um, You know, he swapped some line drives for more fly balls and ground balls, which, you know, the former, you don't love to see from a guy who is a speedster, but... um, Again, there's really nothing glaring in the profile that's like, oh, this guy's breaking down, he's going to drop off a cliff. Um, So I think you know sometimes guys just have bad years. Sometimes they just can't really get into the groove for whatever reason. Uh, And I think he's a guy, especially given my lack of a second baseman, as you'll see throughout the rest of this draft, I just had to take a shotgun approach at second base and hope hope that something sticks when the season starts. So he was a guy who was like, realistically, if he plays full-time, he could probably give me eight home runs and twenty to twenty-five stolen bases, and a and a palatable batting average from second base, and that's really all I kind of needed based on my roster, roster construction. So, so yeah, Whit Merrifield, it's fine, it's fine, it's Whit fine. Merrifield, yeah, it's, it's fine.
2: I <laughs> uh, yeah, the whetstone. Um, the uh, the Blue Jays did get rid of Teoscar Hernandez, mm-hmm. so there may be some opening in the outfield, um, possibly for Whit Merrifield. I'm just throwing that out there.
1: I think. uh a free agent.
2: Uh, is he now? Is that why he was dealt? No, I think he's have another year with the Blue Jays. Oh, interesting. No, okay. another blue year with the Blue Jays. Yeah. Um. So, Merrifield, I I do like this. The major concern is he had five caught stealing last year, in sixteen um, versus the four caught stealing. Uh, the reverse, yeah, four caught stealing forty in twenty twenty one. So his efficiency is way down. Dave Swan on the other podcast made a fantastic point, being like, maybe we're focusing on the wrong people. Um, about stone bases it's not about uh it's not about like how many you got it's about your efficiency going up mm-hmm. so efficiency went down for Hill, maybe it goes back up
1: yeah especially with the larger bases um i mean that's touched on a lot i don't know how much of a difference that's realistically going to make but I now you're think not adjusting he... your draft strategy no, bases, no, yeah. no no definitely not um but yeah i mean it could be enough to kind of get him back to being a palatable second base option you know, and that and I think the Blue Jays lineup will still be really solid, and if he's clicking, he'll hit at the top of it, either first or second. So right, so, um, yeah. There's oh, okay. Potential.
2: Let's move on here. Uh, after After Merrifield, you went and got another closer, mm-hmm. Alexis Diaz, who I think is one of the last ones here that actually has a job at the moment. Yes. yes. Um, I talked to uh, Greg Jewett. At uh, First Pitch Arizona, he gave me. They gave me a list of closers I had to talk about on stage, so it was a pretty funny moment. I remember the day before, I was, I was I was on the the pitching panel. I was really excited. All these guys, and they had one section that was about relievers. It's like, what? This isn't fair. You know, I'm I'm such a diva. Like, I I refuse. You know, no. And I what I did, I was smart. So I don't y'all don't care what I think. Yeah. So I went and found Greg Jewett, Jewett of Reliever Recon there, and I asked them the exact question I was going to ask get asked the next day. Uh-huh. I had thought him, you were gonna say dressed him up as you. <laughs> I should have had, had him behind and done like a swap. <laughs> yeah, uh, funny. I uh, and I uh, and I asked him like the exact question. And he gave me the answer, and I said on stage. So I asked Greg, and this is what Greg said to this because that matters more than what I think. Right. And of the list, he was saying Alexis Diaz mm. is the one uh, that matters most here. Yeah. So I uh, yeah he has a job. I mean that's pretty much what I imagine.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's much to the chagrin of the Cincinnati Reds that he has the job. They did everything to keep him out of the role last year. They even gave it to Hunter Strickland for a spell. Um, literally every person they put in that role blew like five, five saves immediately. So I think they were trying to tamper with his arbitration price um, as teams who are in, you know, the kind of mindset that the Reds are typically do. But, you know, to his credit, he was the only competent reliever in that lineup. Took, you know, took Charge of the role, and I think he has it for now. So, um, yeah, there's just they the Reds aren't going to acquire a closer this offseason. They don't have anyone else in that pen, so the job is pretty safe. You know, if you're getting a guy, you know, the I think the there's going to be volatility there because he has control issues. There is volatility with the walk rate, but if you're getting eleven to twelve, an eleven to twelve K per nine from a guy who likely has a stranglehold on the closer role, I think you take that all every day, even if he's only getting, you know. 30 save opportunities or whatever next year. It's something and it's it's still probably gonna help your ratios and your strikeouts. So
2: there you go. I uh, I don't know if I want to go with Diaz just because it's as you mentioned, like it seems like it's such a committee it's gonna happen or it's such like, yeah, sure, he's the guy, but then it's not. I mean, uh, yeah, there's a
1: chance they still tamper with his yeah, you know, I wouldn't there's... put it past the Pirates or Reds to do pretty much anything if it means saving, you know, five dollars uh on a player in the future so right yeah i mean the, anything could happen but i you know i think given the fact that they let him have the role over the final couple mo- weeks of the season that's think, as good as you're gonna get right now yeah exactly
2: uh so could Marte. yeah again there you go this guy huh? yes
1: not Kevin biggio could Cattell- Cattell- <laughs> um yeah i mean this is you know the lotto ticket approach i just i did not i did not plan appropriately for second base so with merrifield Catel Marte, um, you know, later on Javier Baez potentially. Okay, so hold on playing. a second. You didn't plan for second base, but you just didn't take any hitters. So, you know,
2: that, yeah. that's part of
1: the thing. You didn't plan for it. You planned for this. Yeah, but I, I didn't plan for it, but I also did plan for it, <laughs> um, which really speaks to just my the way that I think, my strategic line of thinking. Yeah, um, yeah it's just really just looking for upside plays. It wouldn't be crazy to me if Catel Marte manages to kind of discover some semblance of the guy that he was in the past. Uh, He was hitting more pulled fly balls last year than he ever has and posted the second worst home run per fly ball rate of the last six seasons. So the approach was there, especially if he can continue to post really solid hard hit rates like he typically has. Um, It just didn't really... The results weren't there last year based on the approach. Maybe it's there this year, potentially. Um, He has an elite whiff rate. Uh, It was sub-20% last year. So that's always going to be appealing to me again with a guy who can hit the ball really hard. I think if the underlying power and last year's approach remain, things could just potentially break right for him and he could hit 20 to 25 home runs, have a 280 average around there. Uh, He doesn't strike out a ton. So, yeah, second base eligibility, outfield eligibility, maybe some upside. That's all. That's all I'm, I'm looking for. Papa John's. Yes,
2: <laughs> I did a thing called Scouts Honor for a moment on the Nick and Alex Baseball Show, mm-hmm. where I had video of me scouting a hitter because I can do that. Yeah, and so I watched Ketel Marte, and boy did he look bad. Mm. Um, terrible swing decisions. Things like uh, chasing pitches out of the zone at two o, mm. which to me is a. Mm, you can't do that Yes, you can't if you get any inkling of you can't just sell out 2-0 out of the zone it's got to be either it has to be 100% of fastball down the middle or like your favorite spot or nothing in those situations right? stuff like that uh, and just man it was really rough to see it Ketel yeah. Marte mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that got into his head I wonder if being on the Diamondbacks kind of just didn't have that morale and it's possible that the young guys coming up for arizona influence a guy like Catal Marte to really get into action you know something yeah, to think be. about with it i'm not going to write him off yeah uh i i want to share your optimism because 2021 actually wasn't so bad it was 90 games 16 home runs and a 300 average
1: right right yeah, so and he had um he tore his hamstring um so i think and he actually i think he exacerbated that last year so i think that's something to take into account he's probably not going to run it again and maybe it's a lingering thing that kind of affects him um, for a long time Um, it's kind of interesting to your point with chase rate it his chase rate is pretty much league average um, overall but yeah he's probably not making great swing decisions and he wasn't last year so
2: yeah highest swing strike rate uh, I've seen from uh, Cattell Martin just it's even when making contact there are times when don't do this this is not the pitch that you should be swinging at right uh, I mean that's just me watching and eye tests and who cares yeah um, but it did seem he was it really was stark for me at times
1: mm-hmm. so seal of approval for that
2: <laughs> okay Alex Cobb is next uh you went back to starting pitching and you know it, it's interesting Alex Cobb is not the guy that I would have put pinged you for uh for chasing really well because this is a Toby mm-hmm. yeah but you don't so. see that
1: uh I mean Alex Cobb was interesting. I think everyone was kind of targeting this guy for the second oh half of the God. season just because of the Stack underlying stats. Stack and everything. Right. And and it it's, like, guys, it doesn't work like this. Yeah, but it did. It did work last year like that. Uh, he had a second half 3.4 ERAs, cut his home run rate by a third. The ground ball rate sat consistently around 60 per, 60%. So there's a lot to like, I think, with Cobb, especially given the new newfound velocity and the fact that the newfound velocity stuck and uh, had him sitting at 95 throughout the entire year. So um, I didn't see too much regression there, and I think that was kind of what made him a popular sleeper going into last season. If it sticks around again, I think that he has the profile to be a solid floor guy. Um this is the time
2: of the podcast where Metzler realizes how much I move my hands <laughs> and look around at places like, What's, what is Nick looking at? This is what I do when I talk. I just do that. And the Metzler yeah. has now started to do it as well. That's right. It makes it, it I got to say, it helps so much. Yeah,
1: it really does. Yeah. It, it lets it get out a lot better. Something it doesn't the, feel like it's something relevant. the Italians understand, you know? You got Hands are a part of communication.
2: Okay. You know? I'm not going to <laughs> outline what John is doing right now. Um, about Alex Cobb, he still had his volatility. Uh, yeah. In that three-four ERA, it was it was some really good ones and then some bad ones. And uh, I don't think that he really broke out of it that much of what it was in the first half. For sure, it was it went a little bit worse than you know. I mean, the Giants' defense was wor- way worse than we thought. Uh, all the things was against Alex, Alex Cobb. It's still a fastball splitter curveball approach. Curveball he throws early. People know it and they hit it hard. The fastball, the sinker, isn't that good. I mean, it, it, nah, it's fine. And then the splitter can't get so many whiffs, but the thing, as they call it, is not doing the thing that the thing is supposed to do, then there's nothing else.
1: Okay, so Steamer has him pegged, in their projection, 8K per nine. Would you take a, 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 a over or under on that?
2: Probably higher because of the splitter. Okay. He's had uh he had a 24% K rate, which is typically for me around a nine mm. K per
1: nine. Okay, three point four six ERA. That's Over. wow. That's
2: um, for Steamer, who is really aggressive mm-hmm. uh, or conservative, I should say, on ERA in ratio. That is so high for Steamer. Uh yeah. so like are so low, I should say. So, yeah, that's going to be south. No, so- north. I don't know how to think of it. <laughs> Something like the rankings going from the best to the worst. Right. It gets- it's it's going to be closer to four.
1: Okay, it's, you think the his ERA. ERA will be, like, what, 3 Yeah, something, something like that.
2: that. I mean, uh, who knows? But, you know, yeah. one, one game or one random thing, a three-run shot changes an ERA from, like, a three eight five to a three nine one or something. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: But, I mean, like, okay, so... But, yeah, it's it's, if- it's
2: closer to 4. What I'm getting at is I wouldn't go for Cobb because it feels more... I don't know. You're going to drop this guy.
1: Yeah, potentially. Um, Do you so feel you feel
2: like you you'd be starting him more consistently and everything?
1: Okay, yeah. Um, like
2: you want to be churning is my point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's probably something where I'd probably consult like your predictions for the first couple weeks of the season. And you're and definitely you're not right. going to have Cobb. No. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um,
2: no, I mean, there isn't much left else to chase, right. too. Like so. guys,
1: guys who went in the same area. Right. Like Roth, or Keedy,
2: I think, is a better one. A uh, uh, safer one, Mike Soroka. Why not those IL spots?
1: Yeah, I guess. I I, I remember Trevor I was Rogers. Oh, that's a fun one, Trevor Rogers. At this point, but I didn't know if he was going to predicted to come back in time mm, to be. We don't useful. quite know yet. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I think at this stage in the draft, it's I think fine, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah, you should probably be going for either upside or a guy you can immediately stash on your IL and just pick someone up in that first week. He to seems fill the too
2: boring. Spot. I don't see him being like a sub three guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like I feel like you you definitely want something you chase more. But to your point, hey, if I'm starting Alex Cobb the first weekend and things are good from there and I churn him away. Yeah. If that's your target, that could actually work. Uh, It's actually something I talk about a lot and I might be changing my tune as I do more analysis on it. But the San Francisco Giants, the opening weekend, are getting the Yankees for three starts and then get the White Sox after. I'm assuming that Cobb (laughs) is going to be starting those first three games. I don't think I'm going to be starting Alex Cobb against the Yankees. Now, if that was against Rocky Road or the Marlins, I'd be like, great pick. Right. Because you're going to start him that first week, and then you do the turn that you always do. Right. Yes, this so, is
1: why we need to fuse like Goku and Vegeta and become one <laughs> omnipotent being. Then we gotta get Rick
2: Graham because he <laughs> always wins. Yes,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> the final piece. Um, but
2: I, but yeah, if you guys are wondering where did you get that schedule, Nick? That's in the top 200 starting pitchers for the Fantasy Baseball 2023 that I put out. Um, I have a table of the teams and who mm-hmm. they're facing early. Read they're the really, ha- read, the read the notes. Seriously, this is like one of the more helpful things that I did in this. It's like, oh yeah, right. I don't want to get Alex Cobb now. I'm like, I'm like definitively like out on Alex Cobb because I'm not going to have him the first week. And I'm telling you, there's going to be some random guy Mm -hmm. who just like is throwing harder. He's throwing like the best curveball ever.
1: Right.
3: You
2: will want to roster him instead of Alex Cobb.
1: Who was that? Oh, you know who that was. Last Luzardo, year? Luzardo, yeah. McGill, was, right?
2: Like it. it oh man, you, there are so many of those. And right. I still, I, oh, I'm telling you right now, I would have won that league if they both didn't go down in <laughs> the same
1: day. I would have, I would have taken you down, Mets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did take me down. You were the only one who, who could do it, other than Rick. And Curry. I did it without
2: McGill or Luzardo panning yes. out. Okay, um, you have six picks left. This is, ooh, boy. One hour and thirty six <laughs> minutes I'm seeing here. Travis Darno in the eighteenth round. You always go for Travis Darno. <laughs> He's like your favorite dude.
1: I can't quit him. Yeah, I why just not? Can't quit him. Um Uh I mean, all right. I my strategy with catchers is the same as my strategy with closers. Just never pay for them. Right. Um you can get one of those top tier guys, and yes, you'll have a little bit of an edge, but I just don't think the opportunity cost is worth it because you know, if I was going to go for... I'm trying to even... Okay, so Real Muto went in the fourth round. Um, and yeah, of course, that's going to be a much better pick and a much more productive catching pick than Travis Darno in the 18th round. Um, but, you know, you can stream catchers in a 12-team league. Um, it's, it's doable. Half, more than half of the starting catchers in the league are going to be on the wire, typically. So um, you can look at matchups you can read the catcher streaming article you can find guys one killing it yeah absolutely um so why 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 bother reaching for those top guys if you're not in a super deep league i just don't think the the edge you get is worth the opportunity cost of a fourth or fifth round pick so just wait and see what happens you know Darno. i think um william Contreras is still in the picture so that could be an issue for his playing time, but I could also see them doing like a catcher DH split between those guys and one of the team's bench bats. I think all of them could get, you know, 400 at bats, depending on how the rest of the offseason shakes out. So, um, you know, he gave back a lot of the hard contact that he had when he first broke out in Atlanta a couple years ago, um, but that's come kind of with a lower strikeout rate. Um, I think the Atlanta offense is still elite. He's the better defensive catcher of the two, so that should help him secure some playing time. Um, and I just think. The counting stats will be there based on the lineup. He'll have enough at-bats to be useful. Something else will probably pop up over the first few weeks. You know, Alejandro Kirk was, like, a final round pick last year, so there's always going to be somebody who just pops up, and um, he's a fine placeholder for now that I think will be fine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, He's fine. Yeah. All right. Seal of approval.
2: No. Uh, <laughs> Jorge Mateo is next. Yes. Uh, Well, it's funny because I'm not, like— Seal of approvals are hard for me to give you right now. Like I'm going to give you one for Duvall. Okay. If I didn't, I'm, I meant to give you one there. Okay. Um, because yeah, that is like the last good closer. Right. Um, good job. Thank you. Kelly Jansen also won, but fine. He's on the Red Sox that we didn't know at the time. Yes. Seal of approval, thirteenth round, Duvall. Okay. You got one for Dansby Swanson. Hmm. I will give you. I'm going to give you a collective Shane Bieber fifth round. Oh, okay. Fifth. That's like a, just a whole thing of like you got value on starters. Yeah, I'll take it. Sure, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a little debating on on Rowdy Tellez um, because Cron Abreu and Walker ninth round and tenth, and so, he went Tellez won the eleventh. Yeah, those are like the last like bastion of it. But then again, you have Rizzo, Hoskins and Mountcastle in the twelfth. And yeah. is Tellez that much better? Maybe because of the shift, the average is okay and the power is there. Mm-hmm. Big boy hit hit ball hard. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that from in the deep. Um, but uh, all right, Jorge Mateo now shortstop
1: yes um again i need stolen bases uh he had the second most steals in baseball last year with 34 despite nearly having a hundred fewer plate appearances than the guys behind him um he also hit 13 home runs to boot and i kind of think the pop is a little bit legit he had a six percent barrel rate um typically i with barrel rate i feel like you can do a quick eyeball test without having to like dig too deeply into things and like a seven to eight percent barrel rate will typically correlate with around 20 home runs. So you can kind of like skew it in either direction based on what you're seeing and try to figure out like sure. what their true power yeah um, I, I do, is. I do
2: it with like swing strike rate to K rate. Right. It's about double is normal.
1: Yeah, so that's a really helpful metric. And I mean, a 6% bow rate, you know, in a way, I think it. I think it backs up the 13 home runs for the most part. So to have a guy who has elite speed with the potential to give you double digit home runs, I mean, the walk rate was horrible. Um, it's probably somewhat to blame for his low run totals and the fact that over half his plate appearances came from the nine hole yeah two six Uh, nine
2: obp yeah it's it's uh,
1: yes it's very bad but um these are guys that i think are valuable in 12 team leagues because again you can use your bench and strategize to make sure that you're plugging him into the lineup only when you need him right so like if you're approaching the end of the matchup under your matchup and you're behind and By two to three stolen bases or something over the last, over the final weekend. You plug Jorge Mateo in because he can give you three steals in a day. He can give you four steals in a weekend. He's kind of like a specialist in a sense. So um, he was a guy that I thought was worth kind of bank, worth kind of taking a risk on. I think there's,
2: considering you don't have too many stolen bases on this team.
1: Yes, exactly. So this was kind of a guy I really needed to go after. Um, And I think there's room for growth. He has a good, um, hit distribution goes to all the field, all fields really well. Again, decent power plus speed. Um, if he grows a little bit this year, if he improves his pitch recognition, his patience, even a little bit, I think he could take a step forward. I think he's a guy who could move up a little bit in the lineup, maybe hit seventh or eighth. Um, and that alone will probably improve his run potential. Um, and you know, the Baltimore Orioles are on the rise, so there could be a, amazing supporting cast behind him uh coming up the birds are flying north that's right in the summer absolutely that's what they do right um so yeah i mean he could go 10 30 and that's easily i think within his reach if he plays every day um the other numbers might not look very good but he does what i needed him to do based on the way that my roster the next time like.
2: you draft him can you please do it precisely at 10 30
1: yeah sure um, i'll do it for you
2: yeah thank you so much i <laughs> uh, this next guy is a reliever uh, 2.48 ERA, .91 WHIP, a 24% K rate with about 12% swing strike rate. Had nine saves down the stretch after his team's closer was traded. Who is this? It's is this is Jimmy Herget.
1: Yes, on the Angels. Jimmy Hergett.
2: And you, uh, this is interesting. So you're getting your third closer, and you actually are a potential one, Thor reliever, and you're going to get a fourth later. Um, and this is an approach i'm seeing from you trying to find those st- saves essentially later on in the draft and you do invest some of your draft capital deep in, in the second half on trying to find those saves
1: yeah so based on the way the league is set up you can plug in four relievers pretty much you know you can find a reliever who has starting pitching eligibility and, and extend that but i want to i want to win saves every week um and i want to win era every week and i want to win. Whip every week. I want to win I, every stat every week. <laughs> but, like, so the way my roster is set up, right, I have these five really solid starting pitchers, and those guys are going to help me be in contention and probably win ERA and whip every week. Wins are typically a crap shoot, um, and strikeouts, depending on who you're up against, can sometimes be a crap shoot. But if I can lock down ERA and whip, and then I have four relievers going and they each have a chance at getting saves, I'm probably going to take saves too. So that gives me three wins right unless you go against rick graham right exactly nick please like i uh, i'm still I, recovering i i realized <laughs> how he beat you yes he had a lot of luck on his side but also skill <laughs> i'll give him credit um yeah so so yeah i like to i like to stack up on on relievers um in all four of the potential spots that i can plug them into so that i really lock down those three categories and then Given the kind of piecemeal nature of my offensive roster, the first few weeks can be difficult because I am still kind of churning through guys and trying to figure out like what's out there and who's going to be somebody who's useful to use. But, um, you know, it gives me some some breathing room because I only really then need to seal two offensive categories to ensure a tie in a 5 by 5 league. Um, so, yeah, it just gives me more of an advantage. So I really like to employ as many relievers as I can. So I fill all four spots and I drafted Jimmy is it, it's either Hergit or Hage, Hage if it's, if it's French potentially, but he <laughs> probably has the, the closer role in, in Anaheim. And that's really all I care about. I don't see the angels necessarily going, um, out and securing somebody who would displace him. Um, just given the nature of the, the Anaheim angels and the Los Angeles angels. So so yeah, he has the role. That's really all I want. If it doesn't work out at this stage in the draft, I just drop him and speculate on another guy who right. will probably get the job. I so.
2: uh, her gets interesting because he has a whole lot of YM lock. That is all middle height stuff of hmm. uh, sinkers and sliders, uh, curveballs as well. It's all like YM lock. It's pretty funny. Interesting. I uh, sinker does a good job of jamming inside, but it gets hit real hard. When it's over the plate, we're talking a 38% hard contact rate and near 400 batting average allowed. Uh, yeah, that's that's not good. It was the next average of 348 at the very least. 110 batting average allowed on the slider, though. That slider has been excellent for him, and it's why he's able to be a closer 70% strike rate on that. Uh, man, I keep saying we're going to speed this up, but no, we're not doing that, clearly. um, Next, you we went back to starting pitching, and you got another safe guy. But, I mean, this is late for Marcus Stroman.
1: Yeah, I mean, given his track record, you know, I think he's a guy that you can kind of rely on. It's it's during a period of the draft when people are picking up, like, Jose Quintana and David Peterson and, you know. You're just thinking of Mets. Is... You're just, like, going through Mets <laughs> pictures in your head. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it's not going to give me the strikeouts that I need. It might give me the floor that I need, and I think him and Cobb will probably be in contention for that sixth spot with the seventh spot being something that I'm just kind of churning through again until I find something useful. So um, yeah, it just, it just gives me a good enough floor, I think in the first few weeks of matchups um, and then just trying to figure out if he can kind of reclaim what he had uh, two years ago uh, and be a useful piece in my, in my rotation. So there you go. I, uh, yeah, another good ERA
2: for uh, Marcus Stroman at 350 matches whip exactly at 115, and if he's able to do this again, this is great. You're fine with this for your fantasy teams. Hopefully the Cubs are better. I don't know, only six wins last year. I will say that uh, Strowman will likely teeter a bit. There'll be days when he just allows six-run runs, and you're like, well, all right, see you later. But the next day, I was like, "Oh, okay, cool, one-run over six or something like that. Right. Um, it's the life of being a ground ball guy a decent amount. Um, doesn't strike out a whole lot. He's pretty close to a Toby, but he's a little bit better. I believe more in that E-ray right, being south of four. Is that right? Did I say that right or north? He did. He south, right uh, of four. I've said so much about pitchers all the years, and I'm looking for you to tell me north versus south on it, right? I <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, Stroman should be helpful, especially I think in a head-to-head categories league. It's a little more stable. You feel better about this than taking chances and ruining your weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get it. Now, what am I gonna say? Oh, what is the team that Stroman is facing to start this season? Think about it. What would be a good realm, a range that you'd be willing to start Stroman in? Think about that. And it's the Brewers. Okay. Yeah, you're fine with that. You're gonna start Marcus Stroman. What's the matchup after that? Do you know? Cincinnati. They're they're three game seasons at Cincinnati though. Yeah. Yeah, now it's like, (laughs) but if he is the ace, which it seems like he should be, Mm -hmm. right? That means he would go both of those, and the first two being Milwaukee and Cincinnati. Yeah, I feel like you deserve a seal of approval for finding that in the twenty first round. So you get one there, because yeah, you're trying to okay. At this point, it's like I need someone to start. Right here, you go. You can start Stroman for two,
1: and I mean to get a guy who could is probably going to give you a an ERA south of four (laughs) um, as your SP seven and like the final three rounds, I think that's solid. There you go.
2: Uh, Two more as we try to avoid the two-hour podcast. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs)
1: It's a race against time.
2: Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, who likely isn't the closer. Maybe it's Jose Alvarado in Philly. Maybe they get someone else, but John doesn't know, but maybe Rick Graham does it took Jose Alvarado (laughs) at the end of his draft. How do you feel about Sir Anthony?
1: Yeah, I think he will probably have the role. The Phillies are going to be losing... Uh, probably losing Brad hand to free agency this year. So I think Alvarado is probably a guy that's more useful to be employed as a a left-handed reliever, like a left-handed specialist. So especially given his volatility, volatility with walk rate and his control. um, Yeah. Sir Anthony, I, you know, they, they pretty much gave him the closer role at the end of the year and into the playoffs. So they clearly trust the guy to go with a big game on the line. Um, You know, the Phillies are spending right now, as we saw with, The signing of Trey Turner. But again, I don't know if there's a piece out there that they would sign that could realistically displace him. And I don't think they have incentive to keep him out of the closer role the same way that, you know, the Reds did with Alexis Diaz last year, because again, I think they're going to be going for it this year. So I think he's probably one of the better relievers in that pen right now. I think he has the job, you know, 10 to 11 K per nine for a guy who probably has a, a solid grip on the role with my four and you know is ideally my fourth closer um is kind of like right in that sweet spot for me so
2: all right uh i don't know if i'm gonna go after sir anthony but hey if you believe he's gonna take the job and he t- he's gonna take the job uh maybe that is a good uh gamble to take mm-hmm. right now because we don't know what's going on in the 22nd round and uh lastly uh we have javier baez yeah. 23rd round Yep. 17 home runs, 67 RBI, uh 64 runs nine stolen bases, 2.38 average for the Tigers last year. One of the biggest free swingers around as you all know. Just a 4.4%
1: swing uh walk rate last year. Talk to me about bias. And why he went from here? Yeah, I mean the range of outcomes is just so big. It's it's the classic lotto ticket. Like he's only a year removed from a season where he flirted with like a 30-20 season. Um and given the profile and his plate discipline and his approach, literally anything could happen. He could hit zero. He could hit zero for a whole year. He could hit zero. And he could hit. The, 1, he could 000. hit two eighty for a whole year. So or, or zero. Yes, or zero. So the range of outcomes is so wide. You <laughs> it's might the as largest well. one of anybody, <laughs> even though the cap is two eighty. <laughs> um. So yeah. I mean, again, I I needed some stolen bases. There's some stolen bases there potentially. Maybe I like. I don't necessarily have high hope for him turning it around, but he's a guy I'd rather kind of roll the dice on than some of the other guys going around here. You know, Joey Votto. You know, the upside is there. The upside is there, and that's all I really want at the end of the draft. So I'm surprised he didn't take Jesse Winker to be honest. He's still uh, on the board. He was still on the board at the end. Still on the board. Okay, not
2: drafted in this one.
1: Well, I already I already had all my outfielders. Wow, Eduardo
2: Rodriguez wasn't drafted. John Mania wasn't drafted. Uh, interesting from Reyes or all this Chapman wasn't drafted um, stuff there were about. there
1: were a lot of interesting draft picks I, I like that people were were going there's people it. that they wanted
2: to talk about yes all right Soler, Trey Mancini um, other ones that were not drafted Andrew Ben attendee hmm. um, interesting value still on the board there I uh, Javier your is a cool one though I mean essentially for like Mr. Irrelevant on your team mm-hmm what, maybe he comes out swinging maybe the tigers get something
1: going i, I mean he did that it, wild thing you know. when he got to the mets where he actually s- kind of stopped striking out at his normally oh yeah but that was, just, it was like we knew oh, that was wrong we knew maybe that, that was weird. yeah yeah but um yeah i mean he, he did still post the like the one of the lowest strikeout rates of his career last year was 24 so Oh boy. There's <laughs> you know, there there's there's I guess. Two hundred and it was
2: twenty five percent, 239th ninth in the majors is one of the lowest of his career.
1: Yeah. So it's not trying good, to be positive, but yeah. But it's an improvement, so Right. You need to believe in the capacity of people to change.
2: No, yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I like this. Thank you, thank you, John. <laughs> uh, you've changed because you left pitcher list. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this the way you're? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I right. Been, like... <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. No, um, you left doing the hitter list. I should say. Yes. Um, but I, but however it buys I like it. I think it's a good lottery ticket end of the draft. Um, and I actually remember making. I think when it was pitcher gifts. I made gifts of Javier Báez in spring training hitting home runs because I loved his swing. Mm. It was so beautiful. It is nice. As a shortstop at the time, hitting bombs like that, I was so hyped. Yeah. For Javier Báez and it took another year for us to see him. Yeah. Um but anyway, that's going to do it for your your picks. Mm-hmm. On a scale of 1 to 23, 1 being terrible, 23 being the best, how would you rate this team? 17. Everyone goes seventeen. Really, always a seventeen. No way, always a seventeen. I try and make it a weird one so people would like really think about it. Uh-huh. But they always say it's seventeen.
1: That must be one of those weird like psychological quirks where it's like you say five words and everyone, and then you ask them for a word and everyone says elephant or whatever. It's seventeen. Yeah, seventeen.
2: Oh, I was just thinking elephant.
1: yeah i mean uh, listen it it, it was a long time i'm 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 dusting off the rust okay i'm getting ready to challenge Mm -hmm. for my fifth yeah championship appearance you know i'm gonna take you down this year uh i think you got relegated no i didn't get relegated. (laughs) so it's gonna be hard for you to take me down (sighs) in a different league but how dare you
2: (laughs) how dare you suggest
1: (laughs) yeah okay well we'll see yeah, we'll see.
2: We'll see. So okay. seventeen, I think seventeen is about right. It's interesting. I will be doing mock drafts of my own, that uh, especially in the preseason where it's like I do a sb heavy approach like this and just mm-hmm. see how it happens. It's gonna be so hard for me, yeah, to not take chances on like uh, Frankie Montes and uh, Jesus Lizardo and John Gray and just like let those guys go, yeah, in favor of everything else because I'm gonna be going like three starters early or something, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah,
1: yeah. I wish I didn't have that competitive spirit, and I could have fun with these drafts. But I, I want to no. win.
2: Yeah, you want to win. There you go. Yeah. All right, uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of the, On the Corner. John, remind everybody
1: where they can follow you on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at John underscore Metzler. Um, go. and it's been a pleasure to have, to be on this podcast. Yeah, Nick, thank man. Thank you so much, and to that, see you in person. This is great.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. John has lived in the area for years. Right. It's the
1: first time. Yeah, first time I was invited, so. <laughs> that is not first true. and last, I probably. think, like, every party I've invited you to, and you just have not showed okay, up. Okay, so the issue is Nick still uses Facebook. Okay, and this no- is because
2: my friends, it's, <laughs> really, it's so funny, my friends all use it. I don't, and they actually yell at me because they invite me to events and stuff, and I'm not aware of it. So I have to schedule my events on Facebook now, right? Right. This is this is how it works.
1: There's a breakdown in communication. I see.
2: Yeah. Yes. It's your fault. So, uh, anyway, thank you all so much for listening to this episode. We have more to come, of course. Of uh, we have Rick Rams on the corner, which is great. Which is after yours, so we can all celebrate his greatness. Probably, yeah. Mm. (laughs) Well, a three out of four or better, yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you all so much for listening. My name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week.